We'll go ahead and mute. Yes. Okay. This one. Mm. Oh, wow. So close. Yes. Yeah, so close. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we, we need to schedule that just for Monday night. Mm -hmm. The people we're going to show. <coughs> Pretty good. Yes. Room is ready. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the October 24th meeting of the Lawrence Metropolitan Douglas, Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Um, before we get underway here, we, this is a hybrid meeting, so I'm going to ask Becky Pepper to do the particulars on that. Thank you and good evening, everyone. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commissioner, Planning and Development Services Director, and Drew Bealby, who will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. We'll work alongside the chair to facilitate these meeting uh, proceedings. Before we begin, I do have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. And then when you are participating, please turn your video on. And if you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And with that, I'll turn the meeting back over to the chair. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Uh, first order of business is to receive uh, the minutes from our last meeting, our September meetings. Are there any amendments to the meetings, the meeting minutes from September? If not, can I have a motion? I move we accept the minutes. Second. Motion moved and seconded. Uh, can we have a call? Any further discussion? Can we have a call for the votes? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Thank you. Um, next, do we have any reports to receive from committees that have met over the past month? No committee reports? All right. Um, we do have, uh, we need to receive written communications from the public. I believe we do have a letter to receive. You have a letter in your packet this evening from the neighborhood of West 22nd Terrace just expressing some concerns that related to some cases that you've seen previously. And so no action is required, but just for your information this evening. Thank you. Um, also, for we, we need to receive written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners, and we do have a memo. Uh, just a memo this evening to update everybody on the status of the two neighborhood plans that we currently have underway, the East Lawrence neighborhood plan and the West of K-10, I should say, the now known as West of K-10 plan, but soon to be known as the Western Development Plan. So just some updates on timing and status about where those are at in the timeline. Um, Okay, note in the memo there, we thought we would be able to get these wrapped up in the calendar year, and as usual, calendar has conspired against us in some respects, uh, but we think we're going to be able to make some good progress, and we'll keep updating you as more information comes around on those. Thank you. Uh, do we have any waiver request determinations made by the city engineer for this evening? None this evening. All right. Um, any disclosure of ex parte communications? Online. Seeing none. All right, declaration of abstentions from specific agenda items by the commissioners this evening. 
Um, I do have one. I need to abstain from item number three. Um, the applicant has made some uh, uh, plant material donations to an organization that I manage, so I will excuse myself from that decision. Okay, and now uh, we are up to general public comment. This is the portion of the meeting where we accept general public comment. Um, this is for items that are not on the agenda this evening, but if anybody has any general public comment in front of the commission this evening. Seeing none in the room, any online? Seeing none, we will move to the regular agenda items. Okay, we have four uh, agenda items in front of us tonight. Uh, the first is to consider a preliminary plat for Langston Commons number three. Uh, this is a decision that is not recommended up to the city or county commission. This is a decision that will um, lie with the planning commission this evening. Um, so the planner that's gonna present this is Sandy Day. Can you hear me okay? Okay, thank you. Uh, this first item is for a preliminary plat of the property that is referred to as the Langston Commons number three. Um, this property has been zoned CN2 for quite some time. And if you will refer, I believe it's to page 12 of your packet, you will see both the zoning and the surrounding land area of this just to give context. The property is located in the um, west central portion of the community. It has been developed with just the Casey's um, gas convenience store right there on the corner of Langston Way and Bob Billings Parkway. And the subject of the preliminary plat is really all of the remaining undeveloped land that is in that area. Subdivisions are the purview of the Planning Commission, um, and so it does not require additional action by City Commission as part of a preliminary plat. The purpose of this application is really to create a new pad site, which is related to the next item, um, which has a separate application and separate applicant from it. Um, the preliminary plat shows the creation of the new pad site and then the balance of the property would be retained in that one large plat. There were a couple of conditions that were included in the staff recommendation um, and you will see that on that first page of the staff report. The applicant has actually provided a revised drawing um, that we believe those um, conditions have been met. I haven't had a chance to do the final check to confirm that, but that's um, the, the quick review that I have done of that particular drawing. Um, it does not materially affect the uh, preliminary plat as you see it. It is really more um, some technical um, definitions and determinations. The other piece of this project is the dedication of a new stormwater utility easement that comes off the backside of proposed um, the proposed uh, lot two, which is the development parcel. And um, we have been working with both the applicant for this project as well as, as the applicant for the, the next item um, to make sure that that easement is correctly shown in, in both documents. That would be the only item that would be going to the city commission as a final plat for the acceptance of easements and rights of way. Don't really have anything to add to the discussion about the preliminary plat. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, at this time, it is only the development 
um, of the the proposed pad site that we are seeing. It's very probable that we will see um, either a future minor subdivision uh, for the balance of that larger uh, lot or even possibly a new preliminary plat depending on what the property owner does with the development of that site over time. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Is the applicant, uh, David Hamby, with us this evening? Hello, this is David Hamby with BG Consultants representing the applicant. Um, appreciate Sandy's work on this, and I think uh, the staff report was very uh, concise and clear. Right now, we're just creating another lot. Um, you'll see a related application here shortly on another item, but I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. All right, thank you. Uh, now is the opportunity for public comment on this item. We'll start with those in the room who maybe want to comment on this particular preliminary plat. If you do, if you would come to the stadium, the stadium, the podium, and uh, state your name for us, please. Nobody in the room to comment on item number one. Mary Platt, um, how about online? Do we have anybody online that wishes to speak to this item? All right, seeing none, I'll bring the back to the commission uh, for consideration. Question on the uh, the pond: is that is that in city property or is that part of the parcel? The detention pond. Sandy Day planning. I'm sorry, it took me a moment to get to my unmute. Um, the the parcel itself um, is not owned by the city. Um, it's in a tract uh, and dedicated as a drainage easement. I think the applicant could probably answer um, more succinctly about where that uh, ownership of the detention pond lies. David Hamby with BG Consultants. Um, back when Langston Commons was originally platted, there was a Tract A and Tract B. Tract A, we called a privately owned uh, easement conveyed to KDOT. So it's a privately maintained easement. <clears throat> it's in an easement that was conveyed to KDOT for access control and, and transportation purposes. Tract B is a drainage easement. So those are separately owned tracks. Okay. I have a question about the, the deten detention pond in terms of as this uh, property um, develops in the future, are there um, possibilities to alter that detention capacity um, should it be necessary to do so? David Hamby with BG Consultants. Mm -hmm. uh, it is possible, but uh, the detention pond was designed for full build out of that parcel. Yeah, all that area. So it's been designed for the uh, anticipated design. Thank you. Just maybe tangential to that, um, Mr. Hamby, uh, is there is there any circumstance or case where um, any runoff stormwater would uh, would find its way outside of the detention pond? In other words, does does this ultimately drain to some other part of the county, drain to the Wakarusa, or is it is everything held in that? Um, retention pond? 
So, so David Hamby, BG Consultants, it's not a retention pond. It's just a detention pond. Uh, it yeah. drains out naturally. The water just is detained um, temporarily to slow down the, the peak uh, volume and um, the peak amount of water coming off the site. And where it does, does it drain? flow down to Yankee Tank Lake. Okay. okay, thank you. Further comments from the commissioners? Being online. Yep. If there are no further comments, um, I would entertain a motion. Happy to make a motion. Um, a move we approve the preliminary plat PP2200281 for Langton Commons number three based on the findings listed in the body of the staff report and subject to the conditions listed in the staff report. Thank you. Do I have a second? Commissioner, Commissioner Thomas, thank you. Any further discussion? All right, I guess we'll call for the vote. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Thank you. We'll move on to item number two. It's a related, it, it involves the same, um, a piece of that preliminary plat that was just approved. Um, this, in this case, is a special use permit uh, for vehicle sales and service, a car wash um, located in one of those plats. Um, and this is a decision that will be uh, recommended or a recommendation for denial or approval that will go to the city commission. Um, so will the staff planner for this project is Mary Miller. Okay, with the planning office. This item oh, is yeah. actually my item. Oh, sorry. That's okay. That's mine said. Probably gave Mary a heart attack. <laughs> sorry, Mary. <laughs> the second time that's happened. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Sandy Day planning. Uh, a, yes, this is a special use permit, which is a discretionary item for the Planning Commission. It is a use that is permitted in the CN2 district subject to this special use permit in this public hearing process with notice and also public comment from the applicant. If you refer to page 32 of your staff report, you will see that we created an exhibit that tries to show um, how this particular project fits in with the um, existing development along Langston Way. Um, the property across the street from it is zoned RS or Dressinga Family Zoning District, which is um, part of the school district inventory property. And then further to the north um, on Klein Way, that area is also zoned for residential development. Um, as you can see from that exhibit, there is still um, pad sites that can be developed as this area builds out. Um, the project was designed with the existing access drive that currently serves the gas convenience use that will also serve this use. Um, as we looked at and evaluated the project, um, it's a little bit of a unique 
use within the neighborhood. Um, one of the recommendations that staff had was to continue some of the additional landscape screening in the pattern that we see that was established for um, for the gas station to the south to be carried forward um, to the north along this property just to give a kind of a continuity and tie it together. It is a single tunnel car wash. Um, so all of that equipment generally is contained within the building with the exception of um, the vacuum stations, which would be located on the backside or interior to that commercial site. Uh, staff has recommended approval. Again, there were, I believe, a couple of conditions. Um, some of that was just really trying to um, deal with some very minor technicalities with that. And then we were also trying to resolve that drainage easement issue that we ultimately did, um, but that was after the staff report was published. So, um, so there are a few conditions uh, within the project um, to comply fully with the land development code. I'm happy to answer any questions and I'm not sure if the applicant is online or present. Thank you, Sandy. Our applicant is uh, present in uh, Patrick Watkins. Oh, no. No, I was fine. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. Yes, I had the wrong page. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, Darren Ammon with Bartlett and West uh, on behalf of the applicant and the applicant is here with me and would be glad to answer any questions as well. I want to thank Sandy for her help on this along with working with uh, David Hanby and BG as they were doing the platting. So thank you for approving the item in front of us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this discussion on this item. But in short, I, I don't have a significant presentation. Uh, the owner is very excited about bringing this Lawrence. Uh, it is another option, very similar to others that you may have seen in town with the tunnel wash. So, but they're excited to be in this location and look forward to growing their business. Um, one thing I did want to note is it's not a requirement, but we did have a neighborhood meeting on August 29th. We opened it up, just wanted to see if there was any feedback from anybody in the neighborhood that was sent out to the notice area and then published, I believe, on, on the neighborhood Facebook page so they could come provide feedback. We did have one person and and the feedback was just curious what you're doing on and when you're going to open your doors is pretty much what uh, what the comments were and requests for that. So I'd be happy to answer any questions about anything technical. We'll say with the conditions that uh, Sandy Day has noted in the report, we have no issues with any of those. We're, we're in agreement with all those. They're technical in nature, notes and so forth. So we'll be glad to handle those when we submit the final plat or excuse me, the final site plan for approval. So. Thank you, Michelle, and I apologize. I got my pages stuck together. And <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so is there any public comment um, with regard to this item? I'll start with those in the room who might be interested in this. All right, if you just um, step to the podium and state your name, please. Sure, Robert Zeller. I live at 6125 Palisades Drive. And uh, so my property backs up to the lot behind Langston Hughes. Um, I'd be curious to know when the screening is going to be planted uh, at the Casey's because I can no longer sleep with my windows open uh, when the weather's nice because of the bright lights that beam in there. I mean, you could basically land an airplane on that street. Um, I also wonder if the process for providing for a meeting with the community should be updated because no one in the neighborhood was aware of this, which is why no one showed up. And so that might be something that, you know, is addressed 
in future meetings. Um, you know, we've worked events most of our adult lives, and if we're going to have a race, we have to send a letter to everyone that the race goes by. And a gas station can be built 400 yards from a school or a car wash without the public even knowing about it. But luckily, um, I noticed the tiny sign that said we were here tonight. So um, I have two points to make, and it references Plan 2040. Um, This board adopted, or this commission adopted, Plan 2040 on October 16th of 2019. Since we're talking about a car wash, we should talk about water. Um, So on page 12, it states water plays a vital role in both natural and built environments. The number one priority is to manage water resources to ensure continued natural habitat ecosystem services. And number 1.1, evaluate development proposals for their impacts on critical water sources. And 1.11, promote voluntary water usage reductions. I don't know if you're aware, but there are nine car washes already in the city of Lawrence. Um, Two of them are less than three miles from the proposed site, and all of them are on average 4.8 miles away. A human shower uses roughly 20 to 30 gallons of water. An average car wash is 65 to 80 gallons. If you look at 100 cars per day, that's roughly 3,500 gallons a day, and that's a very conservative estimate. That's 105,000 gallons a month, 1.26 million gallons of water a year. So I'm just challenging how this aligns with Plan 2040. The other point I would make is on page 47, and it states redeveloping a new neighborhood should be designed to strengthen the unique character that people associate with Lawrence. Number four states create a safe, functional, and aesthetically unique residential environment for new and redeveloping neighborhoods in Lawrence. I really have a hard time seeing how a Casey's and a car wash provides that unique aesthetic um, view to to our neighborhood. So I just respectfully ask that you oppose this. Thank you, Mr. Zeller. Other comments from uh, the public who might be in the room this evening? No? Anybody online who would like to speak to this issue? Seeing none, I might ask the applicant, um, applicant representative to respond to the comment, please. Thank you, Darren Ammon, Bartlett and West again. Initially, I'm sorry this gentleman did not come to our neighborhood meeting and offer any comments. Again, we sent it out to the 400-foot notification, and it was posted to the best of our ability to make folks aware, and we would have been glad to answer any questions that we can on that. To one of the specific topics that were asked or noted about the water, uh, this car wash, and I don't have the exact data, I'd have to speak with our MEP engineer, but it recycles somewhere to the 80 to the 90% of the water it uses within the car wash for the car wash itself. So we are using the recycling technique for some of those types of things within the car wash to help with the environment and do do what they can to do their part there. For exterior stormwater, I was mentioned with the preliminary plat, there is a retention pond already on site. Uh, All of this water is going to be captured and directed to that retention pond. It was reviewed by the city engineer. since there are very few developments in this location right now, it has more than plenty capacity to handle what we're putting in there and then some in the future for the other development. So, so that will be handled as well. Again, all the studies were, were done and completed and are not part of the conditions 
the sanitary sewer study was again reviewed by the engineering MSO staff and approved for that traffic and photometric plan and finalizing the lighting is a part of the condition that is in the process right now about being finalized and then it will be taken care of to meet uh, city satisfaction before approved so again I'll be happy to answer any other questions you may have thank you I'm sure we will have some questions All right. thank you thank you uh, so seeing that uh, public comment period is over um, I'll bring that back to the Commission uh, for questions I have a question on the screening. Um, so in the plan, I see uh, a buffer and trees planted on the east. And I was wondering if there's uh, a similar buffer and trees to the north, which is where I see a lot of the residential uh, development. Or what, what, what is the screen, if somebody could describe that? See any day, planning staff. Um, what I'll try and cover here is really what the code requires in terms of screening specifically. Um, there are a couple of different components that we look at landscaping and screening. One of those has to do specifically with buffer yards and the code it, uh, prescribes how and where buffer yards are required. So when you have a commercial zoning adjacent to a residential zoning, a buffer yard is required. The wider the buffer yard, the less amount of landscape material is required. With property is uh, a commercial zone adjacent to a commercial zone, a buffer yard is not required. So for this particular property where you have a residential zoning district, which the school district property on the east side of Langston Way, a buffer yard is required and staff commented that in the staff report that some additional landscaping was required to comply with that particular standard, that design standard. A buffer yard on the north side is actually not required. Now, in the future, as that property builds out, uh, depending on what is built to the north of the subject property, um, that property is likely to have a, a buffer yard requirement along its north property line or along Klein Drive. But this particular project is not subject to that particular design standard. Um, this is discretionary and that is something that the Planning Commission could address if you so choose. It's the same reason there is not uh, a buffer yard that's required on the west and the south property lines because that zoning is the same to the west and to the south as it is to the north. Components that have to be screened include trash enclosures um, and also mechanical equipment. We look at that in the site plan. There's typically notes uh, on the face of the site plan that uh, cross references back to the landscaping standards and it's something we look for and check uh, in the building permit process as well for those, those particular components. Thanks. I have a follow-up question there if I may. Uh, just on general principles, what is the intended purpose of, of the buffer yard? What, what is that intended to, to keep out? Is it just to be aesthetically pleasing or is it to block light or noise or all the above? Sandy Day planning. Um, the code language could probably um, be more articulate. It was really trying, 
there are two pieces of the code. It talks about integrating uses into neighborhoods and having connectivity, uh, pedestrian pathways, but also having these screening in these buffer yards between uses, adjacent um, uses such as commercial to residential or commercial to industrial or industrial to residential. Um, it gets at a lot of those different components. I think it's really unique to whatever the particular application is, as well as what is the um, property uh, that it's adjacent to or across from. So lighting is not typically screened by a buffer yard. The, the lighting itself um, is subject to a photometric plan where that lighting has to be directed down and that fixture has to have uh, a full cutoff shield. So that's a that's a different component of screening. And so here the recommendation for additional landscaping that, that, that's just to uh, align with what was already in place for Casey's. It's not to provide some additional buffer because of this particular business. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Oh, okay. Hey Sandy, tangential to that. Um, was do, do you happen to know if uh, if the the lighting standards that would be applied here and the the, the screening standards that are being suggested here are the same as um, what uh, was done for Casey's? Sandy Day Planning Office. Yes, they are the same standards that were applied to the Casey's project that would be applicable to this use. So when I heard that comment from the resident, I have made note to follow up with inspection staff to check things out to make sure that that property is compliant with its approval as a separate action from all of this. Okay. Thank you. And, and just to, to piggyback on that a little bit, um, can you tell us what is the timeline uh, for uh, meeting that particular requirement? If there is a requirement for screening, is there a particular time period in which, um, like say the Casey's or the car wash would need to put in that screening? Sandy Day Planning Office. So typically mm -hmm. staff will look at those kinds of components. Um, as part of a final inspection, making sure all of the landscaping is in. There have been instances where because of a construction schedule, um, an example would be where the, the construction is finishing up and it's uh, very late into the fall, you're just heading into winter and it's probably not an ideal time to plant uh, new landscape and have it be successful. The same thing, um, we don't typically um, have an applicant uh, plant, you know, maybe the height of the summer, you know, that August time period. Um, so at that point in time, we may work with an applicant to establish a specific timeline, um, say giving them, you know, 30, 60, 90 days to get the rest of that landscaping in. They may have a temporary occupancy until that, um, until all of that work is that site work is complete. Um, you, you know, so we try to work with people because we want that landscape to be successful. We don't want to have it installed um, and then have it immediately fail. It needs to be tended to, it needs to be watered. Um, a lot of commercial uh, applications include sprinkling, uh, in-ground sprinklers to help with that. It, it just depends on the situation. Thank you. 
Another question, if I could, uh, um, for Darren, I, I want to talk a little bit, if, I'd love to hear from you a bit about um, the products, the chemicals, the soaps, the, the, the materials used in a car wash, um, uh, how those are managed in a way that make sure that they never enter the environment in an unintended way. I'm, I'm concerned about being right there. They, they're right downhill from the retention pond, not retention pond, retention pond. And um, from there to Yankee Tank. Uh, so how do, how, do you, how do you make sure that that never happens? What, what's in place to protect us from that? Sure, I can, Darren Ammon, Bartlett and West. I can try to answer this to the best of my ability. This is not my area of expertise, is the recycling internal nuts and bolts of the car wash specifically itself. But the point is the items within the car wash are contained to stay and be recycled within there themselves and then they're treated. There is a sand grease interceptor, like you see similar with a restaurant and so forth, that would capture anything that would be above the 90% that would go into the storm sewer, or excuse me, the sanitary sewer system and then captured that way. So these items going down to the detention pond uh, that's going to be mostly just stormwater that hits on the property and then runs off and that even has nothing to do with where we are with the building because right now just from a grading and elevation standpoint this is on the the top of the site when you want to call it top since it's fairly flat anyway and the rest of it will be running off it will not even be getting anywhere near the detention system but uh, I can ask the owner if they they've gotten multiple car washes if they have more information about the specific nuts and bolts but I'm not sure if I'm answering I understand questions. what you've described I think is the design of that site and the, the how what happened under normal circumstances what I'm wondering about is in a big rain um, or something that would cause that to, to not function the way it was designed is are there any protections from that are there are there chemicals in that in this process that are dangerous to our environment right uh, again the cleaning and technical things I cannot answer to what's in the building but specifically those items within the car wash itself should not be getting out of the car wash and into the environment like the stormwater detention pond that would go through the grease interceptor and into the sanitary sewer system ultimately to the to the treatment plant from them okay so thanks welcome Commissioner Carpenter Sandy, I'm, I'm looking, what triggered the requirement for this buffer yard on the east side? Sandy Day, planning office. Um, the land development code is what requires that buffer yard. Um, there is a table in uh, Article 10 that says if it's a CN adjacent to an RS, an RM, whatever. Um, so you look through that table and that's, that's, it's a land development code requirement in the landscape okay. chapter. I understand. Um, but it seems a little unsettling that we're requiring a buffer yard to the east, which is school district owned property that's probably going to remain vacant but we're requiring no buffering or screening to the north where we have residences because we're dependent on future buildings to provide that screening am, am i reading that correctly 
Sandy Day planning, partially, yes. Um, the land development code talks about what is the adjacent zoning. So the adjacent zoning to this property is mm. CN2. So that's that's where the distinction is made. All right. <clears throat> so in the, in the report, um, did staff take into account the noise created by 18 vacuum stations and the possibility of increasing the number of vacuum stations when we have no screening to the north towards the residences? Sandy Day planning. Um, yes, to a degree, um, but not not perhaps um, given the scope of this conversation. Um, that And that is why I did mention that it, it is within the commission's purview to require additional landscaping on that north property line. Okay, and before I let you go, <laughs> we also have in the staff report uh, to mitigate the additional impervious surface area resulting from the additional parking spaces, uh, the requirement to add filter bags to the stormwater catchment basins. Can you describe what a filter bag in a stormwater catchment basin is? Candy Day Planning Office, I'd, I'd probably actually defer somewhat more to the applicant. Okay. Uh, I did, before I, I do that, I will tell you that um, I did talk in detail with Matt Bond about that. The, so the condition that you have in the staff report is actually written by the city stormwater engineer. This is one of the best management practices that is identified to mitigate for stormwater. So it is an acceptable uh, technique to be used. Um, the critical thing is to make sure that it's, you know, inspected and, and cleaned as, as needed. And then I'm going to stop talking, let the applicant provide a, a more comprehensive engineering response. And I'd like to hear the rest of the answer. <laughs> Darren Ammon, Bartlett and West. Great question. Um, so with the additional, the slightly overage in terms of the parking we have, we talked with Matt Bond, city stormwater engineer, about what some options would be to help mitigate that. And as Sandy mentions, one of the best things to do that's maintainable by the ownership is to put filter bags in all of the inlets. What a filter bag is, it's it has a it's like a like a waste basket, if you will but water can penetrate through it but sediment cannot so instead of having all of the dirt and other things that would get into a storm sewer system just go right into the storm sewer system and keep going on downstream this will be caught in the bags the like sandy mentioned they do need to be maintained over the course of time uh, i know this owner well and they want to take good care of their properties you know, they're going to empty those out it kind of depends on how much dirt and things you get there it might be every three months might be every other month but they're committed to doing that that's why one of the things we suggested to do that it ultimately goes back to uh, mr Rexroad, your question about trying to keep the downstream uh, storm sewer system clean that pond clean so you don't have sediment build up in there so that's one of the things they can do to help media uh, mitigate that so it's mostly to catch erosion. It's not going to catch chemicals. That right. It's it's mostly an erosion type of thing. But anything that once that bottom gets lined, it it'll catch it in there, and that can garbage or other things will keep that from going into the storm sewer and the detention pond. 
So before you go, the staff report says the city won't be monitoring that, but it will rely on a third party. Can you explain how that works? Right. Again, that is Darren Ammon, Bartlett and West. That, that's on behalf of the owner to make sure they're doing that right. There are some communities that do have a mandate where you have to have the city come out and inspect those types of things once a year to see if the ownership is taking care of those. That is not in place uh, within the city of Lawrence codes and so forth right now. But again, the ownership is, is taking care of that and plans to commit to doing that to have a good property as well. So, so is there a list or an identified third party that would manage these filter bags or is it just going to be the owner of the property? It would, it would be the owner unless they hired a separate company to come out and do that for them, which is if I own the property, I'd probably clean it myself because uh, there's not an over amount of inlets on the property. There's not like 20 of them or anything. There's just a couple. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a, a manageable task for them to handle. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Commissioner Carter. Uh, yes, uh, Sandy, uh, I have a question about the uh, notification requirements. Uh, Mr. Zeller raised the possibility of potentially modifying or expanding requirements for notification. I just wonder if you could uh, clarify what they are today. Sandy Day, Planning Office. Yes, I'd be happy to do that. For any project that has a public hearing notice component, there are three types of specific notice that must be made. Uh, one is to the newspaper, which staff does in advance of the advertising of the meeting. We also require the applicant to post signs on, along the public streets of the project. And then there is written notice that staff prepares and sends out to property owners within 400 feet of the subject property. We do encourage applicants to have neighborhood meetings on certain types of items. And there are some projects that require a neighborhood meeting in advance or concurrent with the application submittal. We advise applicants of those that they follow and they, my understanding is, is that most typically do follow the same written notice um, to neighborhoods and neighborhood associations that staff would be notifying. It's just that it's coming from the applicant on their stationary, advising them of a time and location for that neighborhood meeting. Um, I can't tell you any more details about the applicant's neighborhood meeting, but this project has been noticed per the city's requirements in Article 13 of the Land Development Code. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Ammond, if I may just have a follow-up. and uh, Could I ask you, uh, as far as notifying the neighbors, it, it's my impression, just looking at the, the you know, at the, the area, it, it's possible that there are no houses within 400 feet of the of the plan, or it is, or maybe this is a question for Sandy, uh, whether there are whether there are any houses within uh, 400 feet of the site plan. Darren Ammon, Bartlett and West. That notification did hit houses mostly to the north. Uh, in that location, mm -hmm. there was, I, I don't remember what the number was on the property ownership list, which we request from Douglas County. Uh, they provide that, it has to be certified. We use that same exact list. Those letters were written by myself and sent out. I mean, I understand the concern with the public notification 
notification, we use the same that is required by the city of Lawrence to send out the notification. It sure. kind of becomes wh where do you draw the limits then? Uh, again, we do our best as consultants to help owners and so forth get the word out. And again, Facebook is a really good uh, posting right now where folks communicate social media and, and get that word out to the neighbors. So, but that's oh. sent out in this location and that's what we used. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Other comments from the commissioners? So, what do you guys think about yeah. asking for a north screen? I mean, is that something ask the applicant to do it in good faith, or should we? We can make, make it, it a, a condition of the special use permit. It would be condition added to added. the list, yes. And um, if a mo when a motion is made, that it would be then added to that. Oh, I see. Does the site lend itself to that? Well, it might lend itself to some something that can be removed if something else comes <clears throat> into the north. That's kind of the, might be yeah. a temporary screening. Oh, I see. But I would need more details about what right. would be appropriate or right. what that might right. encompass. Right. So could, that's a discussion we should yeah. probably have. Yeah. Could I pitch that um, question to staff in terms of what a temporary screen would consist of or if that is possible? Sandy Day planning. So that north property line, I'm just kind of looking at the site plan right now. It looks like there's about 20 feet on the north property line between the property line and about the edge of the curb line. Um, temporary screening. Um, I would encourage us to be cautious about temporary screening. Um, temporary can the challenges we have had in the past when the term temporary has been used um, is not always very clear. So if temporary means until development of property to the north, um, that would be one way to articulate it. Um, that could be a landscaping, um, a continuous uh, row of evergreen shrubs, um, something that that gets some height and bulk to it. It can also be um, a solid fence um, as a method of screening. Um, screen two. Give me just a moment to look at the landscape sheet. So there is some landscaping um, in the island. And if you look at sheet L1, of the plan set in your packet, you'll see the landscaping. And there, there is kind of an uh, interior landscape island there in the center part where there is some landscaping that would certainly help to buffer, not 100% by any means, but as we layer landscaping, that, that could also provide some benefit. I would let the applicant respond to uh, landscaping options. They're more intimate with the property. Um, whether or not there's a conflict of utilities, I'm not seeing anything. I don't know that there is something there on that north property line. Darren Ammon, Bartlett and West. Um, looking at, if you look at page nine of the staff report where it shows the site plan, 
laid in there just to the north of the access drive and it kind of gives you the overall picture of the property. Um, to be quite frank, spoke with the owner and I agree as well as a landscape, being a landscape architect, we'll put some more shrubs up in there if that would help. We don't have a problem with that. Uh, I mean, it will essentially be a temporary screen to the north because as you can tell, there's going to be a lot there at some point in the future. Is that going to be today, tomorrow, or five years from now? I haven't the slightest idea. But if that's something that would help, uh, again, we're, we're amenable to doing that. So there's not a utility conflict or anything up there. It's pretty raw ground. So that we're, we're fine with that. Just to put a finer point on that, if, if we said uh, that as a part of the conditions that you would um, apply the same screening to the north as you do to the east. Is that an acceptable way to do it? You, you said a few shrubs. When we get right down to it though, there's gonna need to be some definition. Yeah, I would agree. Um, well, since we have the buffer yard uh, as a requirement on the east, obviously that's more heavily landscaped than it would right. be to the north. Right, fair. Uh, 10 to 15, sound fair? I mean, that's, well, we could pick any number you want. I'm just trying to think. If it's about 200 feet across, we'd put those. Typically, you'd spread those out, like a set of five in the middle and five on each end, kind of across, so it looks like it was planted there with some intent. As you know, as well as I do, light poles, noise, that's going to be there for beautification and a temporary purpose to the north. It's not going to contain those things uh, for the long term. That property that develops to the north, whatever that is, I'm sure you're going to hear that much more. You're going to hear anything when that happens in the future. But we'd be glad to do that. Probably four more important right up against the street for so, the north. Yeah. Ultimately. So, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. If, again, so we're we're open to that. Well, I I appreciate that because what we're looking at is. A lot of vacuums potentially going at once across open areas where sound travels <laughs> sounds much louder than it usually is when you're out. You just go out in the county and you can tell you can hear things for miles away that you would never hear in the city. So I appreciate that. It would have to be something that's dense enough that would grow mm -hmm. and make sure that they stay alive to Read. fill in to to block as much of that sound as possible. Is that possible within 10 to 15 feet of space? Yeah, Darren Ammon, Barland West. Uh, the, the site's going to be irrigated, so they're gonna do their best to try to keep everything growing, even when we live in Kansas and get one inch of rain for 90 days. But, uh, so we'll do the best we can, put some screening in there. Uh, Again, per the number, roughly in that range. We, again, we don't have a problem with that. To try to, they want to be a good neighbor, and hopefully for their business model, those vacuums are going a lot. So that means they're doing good business. But again, that's to be determined. So. All right, thanks. Yeah, I just say to the rest of the commissioners, that would be a condition if we recommend that as part of the conditions. We recommend it onto the city commission. If they decide to keep that in there, then it would be a subject matter for code enforcement to, to maintain and if there are violations, it could trigger a process to possibly revoke the special use permit. So that's that's how the protection. Can all of you hear what he's saying out there? No. 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 Yeah, we need to turn up the volume so everybody can hear. Commissioner Carpenter, could you? Okay, do, I'll, do I'll do a synopsis. Thank you. The, the way this works is if we make this a condition of the special use permit and it's adopted by the city commission, 
It's then enforceable by code enforcement. And if there are violations, they can reach the point after notice and failure to correct could result in a process to possibly revoke the special use permit. So that's, that's what we do when we put conditions on a special use permit. Are there other questions or topics before we tackle that? Um, by the commissioners, did you, Commissioner Rexford? No. Did you? Oh, Commissioner Carter. Thank you. If I could just make one additional uh, observation about screening, uh, and that's with regard to the wind. Um, I think it was um, uh, one of the neighbors, um, I'm missing it right now, Amaya Ray, mentioned uh, trash as a result of the Casey's there. It's too late to do anything about that now, but imagine uh, people uh, cleaning out their car, taking trash out of the out of the doors or who knows what. Uh, it it could be pretty likely for to, for trash to be spread with the south winds toward the neighborhood to the north. So, whether it's through landscaping or some kind of fencing, something to aid in also keeping the neighbors happy with that. Yeah, Darren Ammon, Bartlett West, great comment. I think if you've uh, visited some of the other uh, car washes that are similar in town, again, I can't speak for their business model, but I know I'm a member of one of them, to be quite frank about it. And there's people out there, that's one of their jobs is to get that trash emptied because to your point, they are doing that. Again, I've worked with this owner. I fully expect they're going to be keeping their site clean, dealing with emptying those trash bags because that's what people are there to do is to clean up their vehicles, both the inside and out. So uh, really, when it comes to some of those things, I think that is a management situation to make sure you're doing what you prepare to do. And again, in this location, being a new business, I'm sure they're gonna wanna grow and keep that looking nice to have lots of potential customers coming in the door. So. Again, just like with the landscape, we'll add that to the north. We'll do our best we can to, to mitigate the situation. They want to be a good neighbor, and we don't have any problem with that condition and are glad to help. Thank you. You're welcome. I would just like to make yes, one yes. point um, as we're thinking about flagging things for the future. It se seems like we keep hearing that people aren't being notified, even though the, the rules perhaps are being followed of sending out notices within the 400 feet. I think thinking about um, in the future having neighborhood meetings that aren't required is fantastic, but how can you reach more people and get beyond that 400 requirement? Whether or not it needs to be a, a code change, I, I don't know, but at least a best practices for people coming before the commission and, and allowing neighbors to be able to be heard um, and have an opportunity to be a part of the conversation. Because when we look at land like this, I mean, it it makes sense within right 400 feet, there aren't, aren't many people, but there are people who will definitely be directly affected by the way that the, the land is laid out. And so that's something I think that to be kind of flag and to be aware of for the future. Yes, thank you. That is a, a flag duly noted and we have flagged that on several occasions and staff is well aware. Um, take, for taking a look at that, so thank you. Chair, can I just address that yes. for a second? This commission initiated a text amendment to expand the mailing notice from 200 feet to 400 feet. I mean, we had a discussion about making it farther, but it settled at 400 feet is what passed. Um, so that's always open to discuss, and especially with the update of the Land Development Code, that notice area. There's also usually a requirement to send notice to the unidentified neighborhood association. One of the problems here is this is the West Lawrence Neighborhood Association, which is a mega 
mega neighborhood association that quite frankly smaller neighborhoods should probably make their own neighborhood associations so they get notice about what happens around them such that all the houses to the north of this property could easily create their own neighborhood association register it with the city and they would get notice directly and then they would have a smaller group of residents that to work with to call a meeting and since we have more vacant land here that's zoned CN2 there's going to be more building on this land so that's kind of a plug <laughs> for neighbors that are concerned to get together and you could possibly organize so you would have better notice requirements through that provision too that is good advice to to work on those sorts of neighborhood associations before a project comes up and you have to scramble um, to get an association together to respond um, to something to the point about uh, screening on the north mm -hmm. um, can I run a yes, sample please, bit of you. language past everyone and the applicant to make sure this makes sense uh, no pride of authorship here please mm -hmm. so uh, we'll provide we'll add a sixth um, condition um, we'll provide a minimum 15 shrubs or trees as screening along the north of site, north edge of site, north boundary of site um, for noise abatement. Can I ask Sandy Day um, her response to that language? language? Would that pass muster as a condition? Sandy Day Planning Office. Yes, that would um, that would pass muster. I wanted to be sure that I heard it correctly. Minimum fifteen. Sh did you say shrubs or trees or shrubs let, let, and trees? Let me read it again. We'll Thank provide you. we'll provide a minimum fifteen shrubs or trees as screening along the north boundary of the site for noise abatement. Sandy Day Planning. So when we give an or. Mm -hmm. shrubs or trees, um, you do give the applicant flexibility in being able to respond to that particular piece. Usually what will happen in with that kind of a condition is the applicant will propose something and then staff will work, um, particularly with our parks and recreation or the city horticulturalists um, to make sure that, that the uh, proposed landscape plan is in, in keeping both with the area, species, that kind of thing. Um, the fact that the applicant's representative is a landscape architect, I have confidence that that they know the kind of landscaping that would be appropriate. Say and, would, would it be best to say and instead of or? So that would be 15 trees and 15 shrubs. So that's a substantial amount of planting. <laughs> How do you want me to say this? <laughs> Or, I think or. Or. Mm -hmm. right. I, if I could interject something, rather than our determining the exact number of sound blocking, whatever we want to call them, things, why not do it how many feet? Because surely the city has some um, metric that they use for how many plants have to be. So rather than our deciding, go with what the city has said on do it number of feet that would adequately block and the city should know that number. Okay. Is there a concern about um, like 
the shrubs versus trees, right? I'm thinking shrubs and yeah. I'm thinking trees. So like, is there a language you could use that would um, help describe the point is the buffer aspect. We don't really care if they're right. shrubs or if they're trees. What we care about is whether or not they will form a proper buffer. I don't know the yeah. language, but I think that's what you're really trying to get at. Yes. Not the... I was just trying to... I, I think I started this mess. I tried to get at some specificity, right, in this so that it wasn't just planting a couple bushes and we were done. Um, well, how, how about like 15, 10 or 15 feet, which is all we had if, if we say 15 feet of... Um, sound absorbing vegetation or sound buffering Evergreen vegetation. Evergreen vegetation maybe if you want it. Sandy, is there a number that the city uses that says this is what um, would function for what we are trying to get at? If, if the commission is looking to hit something that's very similarly used along the east side of the property line, which is a type one buffer yard, when a C and two abuts a GPI, you may make a recommendation to carry the type one buffer yard along to the north side. That prescribes a certain planting ratio and mixture based upon the width of the planting area. So instead of speci yeah. specifying trees or types, yeah. you can lean back into the code for the type one buffer yard if you'd like. Jeff, does that the buffer yard take into account sound dampening? Not necessarily. It visual? It's, it's mainly a visual or a screening element. So it's designed to have both low and high items for headlights and, and screening purposes there. I can't say that it was specifically designed with acoustics in mind, but mainly light and visibility. And you just brought up one we hadn't talked about, headlights. <laughs> in the evening, if this is, you know, depending on how late this is open, we're going to have headlights by how this is at least set up in our plan, shining towards the north, towards those houses, unobstructed. So that's another reason for having something there. Well, some of that material, I imagine, could be specified mm -hmm. as evergreen um, for along that line. It, Would Mr. An Ammon care to uh, Darren Ammon, Bartlett and West. I guess uh, we could go lots of different directions with this. The one thing I do want to keep in mind is that the item you approved before with the preliminary plat, there is some additional you know, concern about what that lot would be to the north. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We're just focused on the car wash, and if we start putting a lot of trees and evergreens and a utility needs to run in there in the future to serve everything to the west or to the north, those trees are going to die or come out. So, uh, I mean, I understand, again, we understand the concern. Uh, I think from the headlight standpoint, if we can get a row of shrubs and put those in there, again, we do think it is kind of a temporary solution because there will be a lot there, assuming at some point in the future to try to do the best we can to mitigate the situation we're in. Seems acceptable. I mean, the owner's acceptable to it. We can plant those in groupings. Uh, most of the traffic and parking is kind of east and west except for a couple of drives. I can strategically place those where the drives would be going that way for now. That's not a problem uh, if that would be acceptable. I'd, I'd like to stay away from the trees, I guess, to be... I would agree with keeping away from the trees. I was, when I first said temporary, shrubs seem more likely you could possibly remove them and use them someplace else. Agreed trees you can't very well once they get to a certain size so and shrubs are generally denser than trees are going to be for years and years and years so something like that would be more 
appropriate here, I think. If I, just, if I just go back to the original language that I that said, just change it a bit, we'll provide minimum 15 shrubs as screening along the north boundary. Does that satisfy? I know we've been we've been around this a couple times now. Does that satisfy it for everyone? Well, are we talking about the the depth of the of the screening or the just the absolute of, number of the quantity plants? of? M might I suggest the language that um, Jeff Crick yep. proposed? Um, and let the horticulturist for the city yeah. determine yeah. best groupings and shrubs I'm not smart available. Enough to say what Jeff said. <laughs> so but Jeff's Jeff's language is primarily visual. We need to add this. But we we could modify add the that part base that language. We are looking for screening of, of headlights and sound. Would you run that again, please, Jeff? I'll try my best. Um, <laughs> You know, it would be a continuation of the type one buffer yard along the north property line, and you could deviate the trees because the code does require trees at a planting interval. So you could deviate to include only the shrub portion of a type one buffer yard if you would, if you were so inclined. I would like to hear from the applicant on that. It was my understanding, at least at the beginning, that that's kind of more I I'm not very familiar with exactly what's required in that type of buffer zone but it's my understanding that's more than really what we're looking for but perhaps it's not so I would just like to make sure when that was mentioned I before, had that sense too I, I felt a little hesitation there so I just like some yeah I guess uh, Darren Ammon Bartlett and West again with the type one buffer yard it's on the east because there's residential across the street so that's that does require trees ever and shrubs every so many lineal feet Again, to the north because of the utilities. We're technically not required to do anything. We're, we're again, want to be a good neighbor and help. I'd like to just stick with the shrubs. Uh, if we could have the quantity, probably makes it easier. That's what we agreed upon. That's what we discussed. Uh, instead of trying to get it within, is it a type one buffer yard with an asterisk? Uh, you know, what does that yeah. look like in the future as well? So I think the number of shrubs, if we can stick with that, would be probably the best way to approach it, in my opinion. So where did 15 come from? Just discussed it. I okay. mean, that was Darren's recommendation. Okay. And Commissioner, I have zero mm -hmm. knowledge of that. Commissioner Rex wrote, Sandy did say something yeah. about having the city uh, weigh in on what would be appropriate. So I don't know if we can have that in there as well. Just have them have final say on what would be would that happen? Do we need, to, do we need to, to declare that or specify that, or is that going to happen by default? As it goes to the city commission. It's, it's going to happen anyway. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this kicks it off, though. Yeah. So Darren Ammon, Bartlett and West, sorry, last comment. Yeah, when we submit, okay. the landscape plan is reviewed by the horticulturalist when it goes it through be. the process through all the different entities. So they, we go back and forth with that and pick out a hybrid that, again, is going to be very drought tolerant around here is where we're looking at now. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, they'll, they'll look at that and we'll agree upon the species that's best for that soil type, light area, and put that in place. Thank you. Okay. So can we have a final reading of that condition? Please. I think it's back to where I was, okay. um, except I took out the word trees. Um, okay. We'll provide a minimum 15 shrubs as screening along the north boundary, um, and I added the word light for noise and light abatement. Noise and light. For car headlights, yeah. But I thought it was a great point. Okay, I'm seeing agreement all around. Is there any further discussion? 
of the screening or other issues that have come to mind? Seeing none, can I have a motion? Well, I, just one about our little amendment here. Sandy, is it possible that there would be kind of a, a rough working definition of what this would look like before it got to the city commission? Sandy Day, planning office, is the question, um, would the applicant be providing a revised site plan? No, no, just about okay. what this, this extra buffer area that sure. we're talking about, could we just have some rough language or or ideas but so the city commission would be able to take what we're saying and look at um a rough proposal not a final proposal or final site plan before it gets to them i mean when it's presented to them for their approval or disapproval mr Hammond. Darren Ammon, Bartlett West. Uh, Mr. Carpenter, it's our intent to have all the conditions before we go to the city commission okay. addressed through Sandy. We'll have that taken care of. I want to get in front of the city commission with zero items conditional okay. approval when we move forward. Well, so they'll we'll put that in front of them to knock that out. As you're aware, these items travel at different speeds. Absolutely. That's why I wanted to make sure that yep. they had full knowledge when it yep. got to them. So I yep. appreciate that. We will we'll, we'll take care of it in advance of that meeting. Thank you. Sandy Day planning to, to complete that response. Um, yes, I think there is a conceptual based on the condition that I have heard and with the discussion. I think it's very clear what the expectation is. Um, I will tell you that I did peek at the code very quickly while the discussion was going on. So the number that's proposed, the, the 15 shrubs is in keeping with what a type one buffer yard would be required um, along that north property line if it were 15 feet wide and 200 feet long. Um, the general standard is um, three trees and eight shrubs per 100 feet. So at 200 feet, we'd be talking about 16. Um, and then the other component of that that we look at is the species to make sure that there's a mix of both um, of evergreen and deciduous and then also that um, it's not just a monoculture so that if there is a disease that comes in with those uh, landscape plants that you know not everything is wiped out so that you have some diversity so there's some requirements within that type one so i i do feel confident in in the uh, condition and the discussion about what the expectation is and being able to um, articulate that to the city commission when this item moves forward thank you Awesome. Love talking about plants, but um, <laughs> so any other further comments? We have our additional condition. So can I have a motion, please? I'm happy to do it. Did you want to? No, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. You got it. All right. I will uh, let me get to the right spot here. Um, I move approval of the preliminary plat PP-22, nope, that's the wrong one. I move approval of special use permit SUP-22-00285 for vehicle sales and service cleaning, print car wash, close print use, located at 6300 Bob Billings Parkway and forwarding to the city commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report and subject to the conditions listed in the staff report. 
with the addition of a sixth condition, which will read, will provide minimum 15 shrubs as screening along north boundary for noise and light abatement. Okay, thank you. Do I have a second? Second. We have a second. Um, any further discussion? Seeing none, can we have a call for the vote? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. Thank you. I'd like to thank Mr. Zeller for coming out um, and uh, to the applicant um, for this rather involved discussion. So thank you all for, for coming tonight. Thank you. Uh, so we have to move on to item number three, um, and this is the one I've had to recuse myself for, the urban farm, and I'm gonna turn it over to Commissioner Rexroad um, to right carry on. on with this item. All right. All right, item number three, where are we on time? We're okay, anybody need a break? Are we good for right now? I'm gonna take a break, but you can All right. Thank you. All right, um, item number three, consider approving a special use permit, SUP 22-00286, for an urban farm use on approximately 1.9 acres located at 1210 Lakeview Court and 1211 Ranchero Court. Um, submitted by Watkins Law Office on behalf of Ryan uh, Dominic and LML LLC. Uh, Mary Miller is our um, staff planner. Mary, are you here to talk about this? Yes, I am, thank you, and um, I will pull up a presentation here. Hope you can see that. Um, this is a special use permit for an urban farm at 1210 Lakeview Court and 1211 Ranchero Court. Uh, the subject property is about 1.9 acres. Each it's two lots. Each lot is nearly one acre. One takes access off of Lakeview Court and the other takes access off of Ranchero Court. Uh, the property is located west of Monterey and Monterey Way and north of West 31st Street. Uh, the special use permit um, is approving or being requested to approve an urban farm use. And an urban farm is an agricultural use that is permitted by right in our zoning districts. However, there is an intent to exceed the standards for urban agriculture. Uh, currently, crop agriculture and animal agriculture, whether small or large, and on-site agricultural sales are permitted, uh, provided certain standards are met. And these standards are developed so that this um, type of urban agriculture would not impact nearby properties. If you want to exceed those standards, then the urban farm special use permit is required. In this case, the special use permit is being requested so that employees could be included with these uses and there could be an expanded sales area. So the uh, special use permit is not for the sales events or the um, crop agriculture use itself, but it's for the employees in the expanded sales area. The Land Development Code allows um, 
aerials be used for the plans. And this shows the plans for this property. Um, the residence is a, a rental on the one on the east. And uh, the area that is used for crop agriculture is outlined in green. The sales areas are allowed outlined in blue. Uh, our standards allow a maximum of 300 square feet if you have lots of 10,000 square feet or more. And in this case, we have nearly 80,000 square feet. And so they are asking to have larger sales areas to accommodate their seasonal sales, as well as the employees. The employees are intended to work on the site and maintain the crops and also um, to help facilitate the seasonal sales. Uh, this is the current on-site agriculture sales area. It has a canopy. It does have a sign, which is compliant with the sign requirements. It's a very small sign. And it is located just north of the um, garage. The intent is to expand this somewhat and also to have an additional sales area set, uh, to the north of the property. Um, the entire two lots are screened with six foot um, screening fencing along the perimeter. The top graphic shows the planting areas along the west fence. Um, there's a lot of um, just planting plantings where they uh, locate those and some of their storage materials. Um, the other graphic shows other plantings that are allowed. Um, there's tables with pots throughout the site. Um, there's also um, I don't remember the name of this, but there's also the uh, planting areas, the planting beds. And um, at the bottom graphic, it shows they have water-specific plants. So they have quite a few um, plants for their crop agriculture and, and uh, throughout the site. And the uh, as I mentioned, the special use permit is to allow employees on the site and the expanded on-site sales area. So when we review a special use permit, we review them with the review and decision-making criteria in the development code. Uh, the first one we look at is, is it compliant with the standards of the land development code? And the applicant has requested that the um, parking area for their employees be allowed to be compacted. And currently that's the surfacing of most of the property that um, has the tables and there's compacted gravel throughout the site. And they've asked that the parking be allowed to be compacted gravel. However, this would require a variance from the Board of Zoning Appeals. So one of the conditions, if the special use permit is approved, one of the conditions that staff is recommending is that they either obtain a variance from the Board of Zoning Appeals to allow the gravel, or if that variance is not approved, that the plan to be revised and standards of the development code. And the second uh, criteria we look at is whether the use is compatible with adjacent land uses. Um, the employees and the um, additional sales area, given the location of the property and the size of the lots, should not have an impact on uh, adjacent uses, given the screening fencing as well. However, we did receive some public comments and these are related to uh, traffic that would be associated with the seasonal sales. And this is from the special or from the staff report. 
and the subject property is shown in the black area, these show the routes that would be taken to access this. Um, from the west, it would be Wagon Wheel Road, either from the north or south, and then using 13th Street, and from the east, it would be Monterey Way, and then using 13th Street. Uh, most of the activity would be at Lake, Lakeview Court, which is a cul-de-sac. Uh, these graphics show the type of roads of Wagon Wheel Drive and 13th Street um, are not developed to city standards. These uh, are, have ditches, they don't have curbs, uh, they're about 20 feet wide, they are local roads. And Monterey Way to the east um, is a developed to city standards and is a collector road. And so the uh, comments that we received, we received a few um, with the publication of the staff report, and then there were several provided today as well, and these are included in your packet. And um, a common concern amongst those was the uh, impact of the additional traffic on the roads. And um, our municipal services and operations engineers indicated they had no concerns with the additional traffic, the vehicular traffic, as long as there weren't heavy truck traffic. And the applicant indicated that their traffic, um, their deliveries are done with pickups and trailers and they don't have a heavy traffic, heavy truck traffic. However, the concerns that the neighbors um, were commenting on was not the impact to the roads, but more the use the neighborhood makes of the roads. Um, there are no sidewalks and so the neighbors um, use the roads for walking. They indicated there's quite a bit of walking and children and um, walking dogs on the road and they were concerned about the additional traffic and the safety impact that might have. And the applicant mentioned that they did have four seasonal sales last year and they had about 40 attendees to each sale which was about 10 per hour and um, the applicant that we discussed with they um, had no concerns with that amount of traffic however it's not possible to regulate the amount of attendees you would have to a use like this when it's by um, invitation or <coughs> you're not inviting the specific people to the cells you're just making advertisements and it's hard to limit the number of people that would be attending and therefore we are recommending that we limit the number of seasonal sales to no more than 10 per year and those would be one day sales events and that way it would not be an ongoing activity and that should not create a traffic safety concern with the neighbors. Um, the third criteria we look at is whether there would be a reduction of property values in the area. And um, <coughs> given the uses are currently on the site, we have the crop agriculture and the on-site sales currently occurring. The addition of the employees and the uh, larger sales area should not diminish the property values, especially with that restriction uh, to no more than 10 seasonal sales per year. Number four is uh, whether or not the public safety services utilities are available to serve the subject property while maintaining sufficient levels of service. Um, as I mentioned, the uses are currently in place, the additional employees and the expanded sales areas um, should be accommodated with the existing uh, facilities. However, uh, we would recommend a condition that parking be managed so that it does not interfere with traffic on either of the cul-de-sacs or um, 13th Street. And that way we're ensuring that the transportation would be managed for safety purposes. Um, item number five is whether there's adequate assurances of maintenance. Um, maintenance is assured with the special use process and also with the ordinances. As noted in the staff report, 
uh, the special use permit ordinance actually requires compliance with the city code in order for the use to maintain. And then there is a requirement to, to look at whether or not the uh, special use permit would have a negative impact on the natural environment. And in this case, the use actually has a positive impact as they have uh, drought resistant plantings um, and many of the plants provide a pollinator habitat. So there's no negative impacts expected with the addition of the employees and the expanded sales area. And the seventh condition we look at is whether a time limit would be appropriate. And uh, with the conditions we're recommending, uh, the limit of no more than 10 seasonal sales per year, and also that parking be managed so that it not interfere with uh, traffic and parking on the adjacent roadways. Um, staff doesn't feel that a time limit is necessary. So uh, we are recommending approval of the special use permit based on the findings in the staff report and forwarding it to the city commission with a recommendation for approval subject to the conditions in the report. And these are summarized as uh, first is the variance we discussed. Uh, the BZA would either approve a variance to allow compacted gravel or the plans would be revised to show that parking will be provided per the code. Uh, there are some changes to the plan that are needed. One of the public communications we received was from the property owner to the north. They indicated they supported the plan. However, they would request that there be additional screening between their property and the uh, subject property. And so one of the changes needed is that this screening be um, shown on the plan. Once the applicant and the property owner to the north have decided exactly what they need for that screening. And then um, the sales area that's up shown to the south of the garage adjacent to the cul-de-sac uh, that just needs to be pulled back so that we have 20 feet separation between the right-of-way and the sales area and then there are use conditions that we've mentioned that would be required for the special use uh, one is the limitation of no more than 10 seasonal sales and these would each be no more than one day each uh, maximum limit of three employees Parking management would be required so that traffic is not um, influenced on the cul-de-sacs or the adjacent road, 13th Street. And the canopy that they have in front of the garage, given the secluded location of this property at the end of that cul-de-sac, uh, the canopy that you may have seen in the um, graphic earlier, that can remain. It does not have to be removed every day and, and return back every day. So this is staff's recommendation, and I'll be happy to answer questions if you have any for me. And the applicant is also present today, I believe. Mary, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Mr. Watkins, the applicant. Yeah, good evening, commissioners. Let me pull up a little slideshow we have. <coughs> I'm just going to click through it. I can't remember how to start these. I want to share it as well. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh oh. Thanks. Okay. 
You guys can watch me stumble through some PowerPoint here. Um, my name is Patrick Watkins. I'm an attorney. I'm here representing uh, the applicant, Ryan Dominic, who's here with us. And I can tell you that all this talk about shrubs and vegetation had him interested and may not have been wildly entertaining to everyone here, but I know Ryan enjoyed it. Um, this is a unique request. Um, this is really at the intersection of two different sort of competing code sections. And you heard Mary talk about that a little bit. But the urban agriculture policy of the city, it allows a range of interesting uses. And it really promotes these uses uh, with a couple of its provisions. Um, and Ryan has embraced the city's policy on urban agriculture. He's created a remarkable nursery at his home. It produces plants that he's allowed to sell under the code, under the on-site agriculture sales pr provision. And he'd like to keep this operation going with one modification. He'd like to have some help. Um, and that's really where the rubber hits the road here. With an SUP, you're allowed to get some help, get some employees that can help you. And we're not asking for much. It's one on-site employee uh, for regular operations, and it's three on the event, on these limited sales events that would happen on, on a weekend. Um, so I'll start by saying it's a little bit unfortunate that, that this is sort of like a rezoning process because this limited allowance of having employees at home also comes with a range of limitations on hours of operation that wouldn't be applied under the, the policy on the amount of sales that you would have. So the allowance to get some additional help comes with a range of restrictions that wouldn't otherwise be applied to this, this property. Um, I'd note that some of the neighborhood discussion appears to have, have kind of spiraled into a tough spot because some of the neighbors, I don't feel like we're able to get the entire picture of what the code allows currently, uh, what it does for traffic, what it does for hours of operation, and what the limitations are on this application, the conditions that have been applied by the staff. So I think there's a little bit of nuance here that it will help um, hopefully spell this out over, over the course of this hearing. Um, but, but with that said, we're proud to be a part of this application. Um, it has the support of all adjoining owners, or all owners that adjoin the actual operation of this site, and I'll get to that. Um, this here is just some of the literature that the city's put out before on urban agriculture. This is, it's kind of spells out what the city has done in the past. Um, I do want to speak very briefly about what the distinction that Mary noted. Um, urban ag, and on-site sales uses are currently allowed at, right, at this site. They're allowed at every residential site. There's no restriction on the number of sales, no restrictions on parking. Hours of operation are 8 a.m. to 8, 8 p.m. That's the current policy that, that Ryan is applying or complying with right now. The urban farm, SUP, allows some employees. Um, this is a unique property. Ryan's had a, uh, a nursery at this site since 2005. His property started in part as a nursery, but also as a display garden. Um, these two properties are particularly well suited for special uses. Um, you can see that these are unusually large lots, about an acre each. They're two lots at the end of two cul-de-sacs, which is also unique. You can see these outlined in yellow here. I think the the cul-de-sac on the left, Lakeview Court, is particularly interesting. There's only two users on that cul-de-sac. The first one is uh, Stephanie Botteron that comes off of 13th Street right there, and then it's Ryan. Stephanie's driveway allows her to use that 
cul-de-sac without having to go around the roundabout. So Ryan's really the only user that actually uses the end of the cul-de-sac. It's a pretty large area for one particular user, which we think lends itself pretty well for special uses. Um, and I'd like to reinforce what Mary has identified within this area. Um, it does have a driveway that connects with the neighboring property which he owns. Um, there's a large wooded area on, on the west. I mean, it, it's a veritable forest and, and it provides a range of screening, but you really can't have a connection with Wagon Wheel Road from this site. Um, Stat Stephanie's property is, is to the south, um, so the cul-de-sac turnaround is, is really all Ryan's. And I'll go through a couple of slides here so you can see what we're talking about a, a little bit better visually. This is uh, the cul-de-sac from 13th Street. You can see some of the improvements that were made. You don't get a lot of cul-de-sacs in town that have this sort of vegetation going on. Very residential appeal from the street. These are pictures of, of the property around the house showing the sort of uh, activity he has. A good portion of this is display garden. We've got it identified as production, probably a little bit improperly. A lot of this is just Ryan's personal home garden. But you can start to see some of the displays that he has, but also some of the production. This is his hoop house. Uh, this is directly behind his house. Um, these are his kids planting in the planting area. Um, and this is a view um, just of the production area. Pretty residential appeal, but because there are no alleys in this area, because these are two cul-de-sacs and they back up to the lots on the other side, you don't get a great view of this from pretty much anywhere. Uh, these back areas all have screened fences, privacy fences, and, and we are okay with uh, additional screening if, if needed by anyone. Um, but you kind of get a flavor for what is happening in this back area. There's some additional land that was added in 2019. This is the Ranchero portion. And you can see some of the improvements he made on that site. This is a little patio area. And again, it's not all production. It's pretty uh, appealing from a residential perspective. Um, again, more display gardens. This is the fence that was added to the property on Ranchero, and this is the screening on that property. All very much residential, all very kind of appealing. Uh, doesn't appear to change the character or residential nature of the, the, uh, the neighborhood, and, that, and that's why I think we got the support of everybody that actually adjoins and abuts the, the operation of the site. Here's one more picture of the driveway heading out onto Ranchero. This is a unique operation. The nursery developed, has developed since 2006. Um, the site works well together. There's no large trucks or semi-trucks. You can't really get them into a cul-de-sac to begin with, but there's no use for them. There's weekly pickups and drop-offs in regular trucks a couple times per week, almost none in the winter. This is all allowed under the current policies. He's largely limited sales to those that are appointment only. Um, he has a few per week. Um, He's got seasonal days, four of them this year. Um, nobody seems to be complaining about the seasonal sales. It's, it's sort of akin to maybe a backyard barbecue. You can hear you know, up to 10 customers per hour. This is not sort of dramatic retail, and the site doesn't lend itself to, to having a retail location. This is a nursery that has pickups and drop-offs is the way I would describe it. So we met with the planning staff. I see I've got two and a half minutes. I do want to let Ryan speak uh, for, for just a minute, and I'll save some commentary for rebuttal, specifically about some of the um, uh, commentary from the neighbors. But let me give Ryan two minutes here, and then uh, we'll add some commentary in our rebuttal period. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ryan, the property owner. and. Um, 
I'm not the greatest public speaker. I'm more of a private person and everything. But I, I have been running this um, my plant business for 17 years without any problems, and I would just like to be able to keep doing that. I don't feel like I'm disturbing anybody. I'm, you know, very secluded. Um, I feel like I've been beautifying everything. I've been improving the property values, you know, that I've been working on, and I just uh, all I. To start, to start this whole process, all I wanted was just some help. You know, I'm 46 years old. <laughs> My back's going out on me. So I just need some help with this, and I need to keep it. I really want to keep it the way it is, and I've had people accuse me of trying to change the whole character of the neighborhood, and I'm not trying to do that at all. And I would just ask, you know, support for this, and that I don't want to change anything, and I want to keep it the way it is. And I have kids, and we walk in the neighborhood, and... I realize the concerns about traffic and everything, and I just don't feel like I'm contributing to that. We use this last minute. Um, I would add on to, to Mary's commentary. She did a nice job. She went out to the site, visited with us. We also sent a letter out to all the neighbors. Um, that may have instigated a great deal of you know discussion within the neighborhood, which again, we respect. Um, these folks love their neighborhood. Uh, they love the walkability of it. Um, Unfortunately, the SUP process, in my opinion, actually limits the amount of traffic that this neighborhood would get. It creates limitations on, on the hours of operation that this place can be open. Instead of being 8 to 8, it's 9 to 5. So it, it decreases the amount of time. It also takes unlimited amount of sales down to 10 sales a year. So it confines it in a, in a way that supports the neighborhood's concerns about traffic, about walkability. Again, this isn't the sort of traffic that's going to cause wear and tear on the road. We're talking about dozens of cars, not hundreds. Um, and I respect their, their concerns, but I would say Mary's done a nice job of, of describing the, the, the application. She did an on-site visit, and we respect that. We appreciate her support and the recommendation of approval. Um, and we're pleased to have the support of every neighbor that adjoins the site. And I'll get to that in a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. So it's time for public comment, and we'll start with uh, anyone who's in the room that would like to speak. If you'd approach the podium, give your name. Um, you'll have three minutes um, to uh, share your thoughts, and once we finish with everyone in the room, then we'll go online. My name is Hugh Conover. I live at 4120 West 12th. Um, my primary concerns are with the traffic in the area. We have kids, oftentimes, a mom with a stroller with a baby and three kids in tow and a dog, they walk in the streets. We have limited sight lines, blind hills, some of the driveways, the cul-de-sac particularly is a blind cul-de-sac. You don't see it till you're on it. Um, and I'm just afraid that we're going to have a tragedy before we get resolution. We're already seeing a lot of cut through traffic from uh, Harvard Street or Harvard Avenue over to 15th Street, Bob Billings. Um, we have a lot of speeders on our road. I live on 12th Street, which is directly north of his property across the, the street. Um, it's a difficult area if you're not familiar with it. It's dark at night, and I'm, I'm just concerned about the, the loads of traffic. I've had to jump out of the way. There are places where you don't have any place to jump out of the way. Um, and I also believe it's we're not... How would I put this? I think we're on a slippery slope. If we allow this, you're going to start to see a degradation in the neighborhood over time, not because of what he's doing now, but because of the precedent it sets. Uh, the other thing I want to just correct Mr. Watkins, um, 
his property owner to the west, Michelle Passman, read her letter. And if that sounds like a letter that approves of it, there's something wrong. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Hello, Commissioners. My name is Tom North. I live at um, 4010 uh, West 13th Street. I'm right across the street uh, from where this proposed development or proposed <clears throat> special permitting is, is being proposed. So I'm here basically to um, voice my concern and my opposition to the special use permit being granted uh, for this property. And, and, I, and I've got a couple of reasons <clears throat> why I, I, I think that I, I want to share. I, I think uh, first and foremost, uh, the discussions on uh, traffic is a good one because there isn't a whole lot of traffic in this neighborhood and that is because the neighborhood itself cannot accommodate a whole lot of traffic. Uh, in, in these particular culverts, uh, and cul-de-sacs, we're looking at pavement widths of approximately 20 feet, okay? I was coming into my house the other day. I'm doing a lot of renovation work on my house right now, and uh, there, there, there was a yard sale across the street from me. There were cars on both sides, and I drive a 2011 Ford Ranger pickup truck, and I had six inches of clearance on each side of my, my, my vehicle. Now, what does that mean? What it means is that if you have an emergency vehicle, an ambulance, or even a fire truck that needs to come in through there, uh, those vehicles aren't gonna make it, okay? Uh, there's, there's no striping, uh, there's no crosswalks, uh, there's no sidewalks. Uh, and, and, and the other thing that I wanna point out here is that the way I've been meeting my neighbors is, is that I'm outside working, I'm outside pulling out carpet and throwing stuff away, right? And so I meet my neighbors who are walking their kids with their, with their dogs, you know, on, on a regular basis. And there's no sidewalks. And we're looking at 20-foot wide streets. And, and all it takes is a pickup truck uh, with a two-axle trailer on it, which I've seen coming in and out of there, uh, the, 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 the driveway on occasions. And, 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 and now all of a sudden you start to, to get in some issues that become problematic and appear, from, uh, appear to be unsafe, and, and that's only because they are, okay? So that's, that's I think, one, one thing that I need to bring up. Uh, these are low-volume pavement designs. Uh, the pavement on my cul-de-sac uh, was, was just resurfaced, uh, and, and it was basically falling apart. It, 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 was, it, it was basically in a state of, of active failure. Okay, and so this, this is what you're looking at. You're, you're looking at some, some increase in volume of your traffic, and although it, it, it doesn't appear to be a large increase, it's enough of an increase to affect traffic uh, <coughs> uh, pavement conditions, how the pavement is going to hold up. And so in, in addition to that, um, we also have an issue associated with inadequate horizontal alignment. Okay, so once you get all of these vehicles parked in these spaces, uh, then the, the problem you're going to be running into is that trucks are going to have a hard time negotiating through these areas. 
in addition to that, um, the, um, the, the, the increase in the parking demands, and, and we will see some increase in parking demands because that's what every business owner wants. They want to grow their business, right? And that's what they should be doing. However, growing your business in this particular area and growing your business with the type of parking surfaces that you're going to need involves increased uh, stormwater runoff Mr. as North, well, too. I'm sorry I was so enraptured with your saying I lost track of time. I need to ask you to wrap up, please. I apologize. <laughs> My three minutes is up. Anyway, um, I am opposed to uh, issuing a special permit for this, and thank you very much for hearing me. Thank you. Anyone else in the room tonight? Here. Hi. Hi, I'm Nikki Danicky. I'm a neighbor uh, to this Operation Ryan. I, I live um, at the corner of 13th and Monterey Way, 3900. So I see all the ins and outs of the neighborhood, and the mayor, no, I'm just kidding, but um, the traffic I've noticed, the increase of traffic I think relates more to just the neighborhood consumerism. Amazon, deliveries. Um, there's been a generational shift in our neighborhood, a lot of sales, um, younger families moving in. So it is a concern, the traffic for the uh, kids and bikes and the seniors living uh, in the neighborhood as well. Uh, that isn't really related to this request, I don't feel. I feel that the times I've seen any of Ryan's staff or himself driving it has been very safe and slow. Um, with the changes in ownership, there's a lot of renovations happening. So there's company trucks from all other types of businesses coming in. Estate sales, those bring in two blocks of parking, you know, garage sales. And so really I think this request would reduce any traffic concerns because if Ryan can have 10 sales a year, that's going to reduce that, oh, it's a sale, it's an annual sale the mass parking for the popularity of a one or two times a year sale. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see how these traffic concerns relate specifically to this request. I think Ryan's been very supportive of the neighborhood. He's provided um, a discount for neighbors. Uh, he's also provided a lot of the neighbors uh, landscaping services. So um, I just want to give that viewpoint. I do see it all. And Ryan's operation is not going to be a concern to me. And I'm right there in the corner seeing it all day long. So thank you. Thank you. Anyone else in the room? Hello, my name is Laura O'Dell and I'm a local uh, landscape consultant, designer, and a permaculturist. Um, so I just wanted to come and show my support for Ryan and his nursery that is absolutely incredible and a huge benefit to our community here in Lawrence. Um, if you ever get a chance uh, to come to one of the plant sales, I really encourage it because the traffic that I've seen um, is nothing more than what is a garage sale that anybody in these neighbors anywhere around Lawrence is able to have. and. The parking that I've seen has always just been in the cul-de-sac area. Um, it's not on Wagon Wheel or on 13th, uh, where you know, the streets are more narrow and there's no shoulder parking or anything like that. Um, so 
yeah, I just think it's a, an amazing garden space. It's an amazing nursery, um, incredibly diverse, that offers plants that no other nursery in our area has accessibility to. Um, amazing variety of natives and pollinator-friendly plants and edible species um, that are important. And um, just as a designer, um, it's really beneficial for, for someone like me or anyone in the landscape industry to be able to send a client uh, by appointment, you know, to get this individual attention and get a few plants, um, things that are very special that you're not able to get um, anywhere else, um, even in the Kansas City region. So um, just in my experience, um, what I've seen uh, from the sales and what I know from the example gardens and being around the nursery during these sales, um, I would uh, hope um, that this can certainly pass and would only be a benefit uh, to our neighbors uh, and our community. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else in the room care to speak to this? Is there anyone online that's here to speak to this item? Raise your hand. Unmute. Um, I am actually um, here to speak and positive for this permit. Um, I'm a, also a landscape designer and have been a client of Ryan's for many years. And my experience has always been very uh, conscientious when I'm there of it being aware that it's a residential area. Um, it's a very homey, uh, uh, relaxing way to pick up plants for jobs. I sent him pull lists and just at when I'm ready to plant, uh, pick up curbside. And it's always just, yeah, very conscientious and definitely not a busy, uh, stressful space. And uh, yeah, I just, I really do think that his plant selection is amazing and great for the environment here in Lawrence. And that's pretty much it. Thank you, Ms. Harris. Thank you. Anyone else online here to speak on this matter? Seeing none, no one else in the room. Mr. Watkins, do you have uh, any follow-up you'd like to make? I do, thank you, Commissioner. Um, Kurt, help me share this screen again, if you would. Um, I do wanna address um, one slide that I had presented earlier and a comment that I had made about having the support of, of neighboring uh, properties. I, I was careful to, to note, and I should make the distinction that I'm really talking about uh, property owners that adjoin or abut the operational site of things. Um, you can see on uh, one of these slides here that um, I've highlighted the properties that have the, um, that we have letters of support from, just to give you an indication of where that's, where some of these letters are coming from. The site's in yellow. Um, I didn't include the Passmans. They are to the, the west on Lakeview Court. They own both of those properties. But again, I, I don't find those to be really contiguous or adjoining the, the site because they have such a large, serious screen and forest uh, along that side. To the north, um, we have three property owners that wrote letters of support. 
I do want to address them. Uh, George, George and Joan Stern, uh, they, have property, they abut the backside of the property. They note that they're more likely than anyone to have an interaction with the operation, and they support the permit. Carol Selvey Sievely, uh, who lives directly to the east of Stephanie, so this, this would be down here on the south side, supports it. Um, adjoins the property, is supportive of the project. She notes that screen, screening is adequate. adequate. Car Carmela Sibley, uh, directly north, uh, backs up to a part of the Ryan's property and supports the request. Um, Robin Maestrel is here. Michael Schetzel is down here. Um, I did talk to Holly Garber. She's directly to the east, but you have a residence in between her property and the site. So I, I didn't really consider that, but um, she didn't submit any letters in support or, or uh, opposed. So I think we we're trying to be very cautious and careful about making sure that everybody is aware of the operation. We've had a, a great deal of discussion, and, and there, there's an, an, an ongoing neighborhood uh, dialogue that's happening. Um, but, but I think we're really proud of the work that we've done with Mary because the conditions on the special use permit are designed to hopefully address some of the issues that they're bringing up. You can't address them with the urban ag policy in, in perhaps an adequate way. The urban ag policy is, is guaranteed by right to any residential owner. And you can have sales from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Um, you can also have um, unlimited amount of sales if you wanted to. So we've confined those. And I think those conditions help address the concerns, but nothing is really going to help um, like trust in a good neighbor. And I think that's really what this uh, slide is really designed to indicate. The people that, that have the most at risk, trust Ryan to run a good operation. Trust that when he says he's not looking to expand, um, that they can support it. And they know Ryan's gonna uh, live up to his word. Um, there has been concern about intensifying and expanding this operation. Um, you all know this, and I, and I think uh, Mary uh, takes this uh, in the same way, but it doesn't always get included in the report. If you want to add a property to a special use permit, you have to go through the process again. If, if we were to come in here and ask for three properties with a special use permit for an urban farm, it's a, it's a dra dramatically different uh, application, in my opinion. It does start to encroach upon changing the residential character. Uh, this is two properties. Um, Ryan's been thoughtful uh, about how he integrates between the two properties, but there's no, dis there, there's no doubt in my mind, if you were to visit these two cul-de-sacs, there's a residential character to this neighborhood. Both of them have a house. Both of them have occupants in them. Um, they happen to have an urban nursery around them. Um, I find, and Ryan finds uh, Mary's conditions to be acceptable. Um, if you have any questions for us, we'd be happy to respond. Um, I don't think there's anything for me to add at this point, but please ask us if we can add. I'm anything. sure there will be. Thank you. Thanks, sir. And with that, we come back to the commission for discussion. I'd like to start us off. I can go if nobody. Please. So, um, yeah, we, we, we walked uh, this uh, location, and it's beautiful. It's, it's, really, it's really awesome. Um, I do have some questions, though, that we uh, need clarification on. So, Mary, uh, you mentioned that uh, you want the parking to be managed. What do you, what do you mean by that? What is, what is being managed? In your opinion, what does that mean? 
Um, it means that the applicant is responsible for managing the parking in such a way that it does not create an issue on the adjacent roadways. So if they have sales uh, that are too large, they may need to find a way to make them smaller. You, if you have too much parking, you have parking on both sides and access in and out of the site. So it's, um, it's a provision that the applicant is necessary to carry out in whichever way they want. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, but it's one way to ensure that we don't end up with parking problems. We don't end up with parking on both sides of roads, cars can't get in or out, you know, the worst case scenario, if you have a really high number of people attending. So there has to be some parking management to avoid that. If not, then it's not compliant with the special use permit provisions and it either needs to be resolved or the special use permit could be rescinded. Yeah, because we uh, we didn't stay too long, but we had to park in front of a hydrant, a fire hydrant, because um, everywhere else would have blocked a driveway. So parking can be an issue. Will, if there's a, a big sale, it could be an issue. So um, I, I'd like to hear from the applicant. You know what? How, how they would? Uh, how, yeah, how could they address that concern? I'm going to bring Ryan up here just to fill in any gaps, but we did talk about this at length with Mary. Um, there is parking around the cul-de-sac and it's, it's kind of graveled and there's also a driveway that's quite long. The driveway is able to go through the, to, through the property and loop into the other direction. Um, so I think there are a number of spots available and, and I'll let Ryan characterize how many thinks that is, but, um, and also speak to his experience. Yeah, just in my driveway, there's probably three or four spots for customers and they're they're usually not filled up because I usually just have one, one or two people there every once in a while. Um, I've never had a sale in, you know, 15 years that no one has ever parked outside of my cul-de-sac in there. There's never been any parking on 13th Street. I've never had that many people, nor would I even be able to deal with that many people. So most of our sales are just kind of the online plant communities, that's where they're advertised to. So we're not throwing out big advertisements across town or anything. We're just in, kind of inviting certain people that have signed up on our you know, email list or on, on our social media. And so it's, it's pretty closed sales anyways. And I just can't imagine the parking ever being an issue. Um, that's all I have. I would note too, I mean, just to add on to what Mary says, I mean, to the extent that there is hydrants there. I think we could put stakes in the yard and, and, and it obviously would be on Ryan to, to make sure that that's enforced. There's not a whole lot of enforcement happening over there anyway. Um, but the, the beauty of these special use permits and, and this high level of regulation is that you can put on, on the applicant and it's an enforcement mechanism where if you get a call as a city enforcement code enforcement person, you go out there and look. And if it sh is happening, that permit gets triggered and, and you could lose it if you don't adequately uh, address the parking. So, you know, one sort of infraction where you see this sort of problem, if somebody takes a picture of it, um, it, could, it could be reported and all of a sudden, um, Ryan's got one opportunity to fix it and if he doesn't, then that permit could be revoked. Um, Jim could probably speak to sort of that process where you can go through this where if you have a violation and you don't get it fixed and don't cure it, then they can pull the application or pull the permit.
how, how did we decide to go from four events a year to 10? How, what was the magic? Yeah, it's a, it's a number that provides some flexibility. He hasn't been having 10 events in the past, and I think there's some question about whether he could even have 10 events with his inventory, but if you had a small event, and then another small event, and if you mix them together, some, certain parts of the season I think lend themselves to certain plants, uh, certain types of events lend themselves to you know a, a certain type of sale. So this gives him the opportunity to have a multitude of types of sales, smaller in essence, but you have one big sale, you're not gonna have any inventory to sell otherwise. Um, so 10 provides the amount of flexibility that he would need to, to have sort of an advertised sale to his customers. Um, there, I don't think there's a whole lot of magic to it other than it's just enough flexibility. So was that a number that you came up with? Come on up here. Yeah, we had just you know come up with that and there's, before the pandemic we'd had more sales that were more like maybe six or seven before. So we've had them every year. We didn't have any in 2020. Um, we had like four or five the next year and we've had like four this year. So I think that was kind of trying to say that we would have like one a month or so, like March through maybe November or so. Um, it's kind of was to help accommodate probably having two sales in May and then probably having a couple smaller sales in the summer. While you're up there, when I think about, I think about your business and how you intend that to grow, um, is, is, it, is it the idea behind this? You, when, you, when you said talked earlier, you said, I just need some help, I just want to continue. You used the word continue. Is there any thought in your, in your planning about how this grows? Are you intending to yeah, expand? I don't, I don't want to grow or expand. I've, I'm maxed out, so I, I like what I have. I don't, um, it's just, it's already a lot to take care of and I'm getting old, so. <laughs> any, any, just, there's a couple of us up here that might be curious about that. Uh, but is there you no know, intention to, to expand into other areas around your, where your property is today? That's, no. This is just really about you getting some help to do what you currently do now. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, if I can follow up with you on yes. that question. Um, um, so basically, your sales right now are based on plants, right? Yes. So basically, that's, that's your customer target. So those Landscape and plants and all sorts of plants for what I heard. Yeah, plants, and then we occasionally have um, a design. I'm a landscape designer that I work, I work from home, so occasionally I'll have a customer come and look at our gardens and we'll show them plants, or they might buy plants directly. To, what I'm trying to get is basically you're not trying to expand it to where you sell carrots and tomatoes and, and fruits and... Um, I hadn't planned on it or... All right. About it, really. What I'm trying to be make sure that other commissioners commissioners yeah. may may get is that you won't be redirecting other customers from grocery store to go to your home. It's, right. It's, it's based, that's that's a concept. Pretty much specializing in plants. Um, okay. Edible plants that are in containers, like a pawpaw tree or a service berry trees. You know, we sell that kind of stuff. So your customers' base is very targeted. It's just, yeah. it's you know, they're going to your home because they need a specific item. That's mm -hmm. that's about it. Okay. Well, thank you. I have a 
question. Um, this might be for Mary. I'm just curious as to the limitations. Um, it sounds like you could actually do quite a bit right now. So I'm just interested in what um, the trade-off is. And I'm a little confused, and I'm sure it's in there, and I just haven't located it. But um, what is, are the limitations on sales? Are there days and are there times that actually are more limited than what is currently um, allowed? And um, definitely the time. I was interested in that. Um, and the days. Um, I'll start with that and see if I can remember the other thing I had a question about. Yeah, on-site ag sales are allowed from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. any day. And um, I know when the Planning Commission approved this, they they had concerns there might just be so much traffic at our on-site agricultural sales that it could create issues. And they decided to go ahead and approve it. And then if it turned out that traffic was an issue, they would do a text amendment and change it. But since that was approved, we have a lot of gardens. We have vegetable gardens, various gardens throughout town, and people that have chickens and they have eggs and we haven't had an issue with the traffic. So we haven't had to change that. So the, the time for these on-site ag sales is 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. They have the other requirements that the um, the stands you have, if you have stands for the sales, they have to be temporary and that it has to be at least 20 feet from the right of way. But as far as time, that's the only time restriction. That answer it yeah 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 all right other comments or questions i just want to get back to the parking again commissioner Rexford. so if if there ever was a case where there was a spillover where your um driveway couldn't handle the traffic what would the plan be in that case? like if it was a really you know a popular sale a lot of people came what how would you handle that like if it was Um, pretty much, uh, you know, the, the cul-de-sac can probably handle 10 cars back there. And I've, I don't think I've ever had more than that. I've, and most of the time it's been three or four cars at a time. Um, I do have traffic cones that I've set on uh, Stephanie's driveway before to keep them from blocking her driveway. Okay. Um, I could set up the little temporary no parking signs. I, I do have some of those. I've never had to use them. Um, I think the fire hydrant that you might be talking about um that's on that's outside of my cul-de-sac um i i don't know if anyone's ever i've never had an issue with anybody parking that that far away um so like on rancher report nobody parks on that side no i don't i haven't okay. ever had any that's just kind of a back way out gotcha but, i think one thing to add is the benefit of being able to have these additional employees for sales is that if you do have somebody pull up you have them go talk to the car and say you know what surprisingly high volume why don't you come back in a half an hour or an hour when this goes away um, to the extent that this turns into some sort of frenzy of activity I think you have a real problem and you got to address the way you handle these sales because it won't stand with the neighbors uh, it would be a violation of the permit and you'd be risking uh, what you have built uh, on you know a frenzy of activity by by the way he doesn't have the amount of plants that would you know satiate a frenzy of activity so um, this is never really intended to to get to a place where you have dozens of people waiting for plants is that fair yeah and everything's grown on site so i i can't like really bring walmart loads of seasonal plants in. that's not my business i grow specific specialty plants you know and there's there's really not a huge market for that compared to like going to like home depot garden center or anything like that and 
So it's, you know, the plants are more expensive because they've been, you know, grown. I usually grow them for a year sometimes, sometimes two or three years. So it's not like I'm trying to mass move plants out or anything. They've taken a lot of care. I will say it, it is a beautiful facility. It is, it is gorgeous there. Traffic just seems to be the thing that comes up more often than not. This, the roads are narrower. It isn't a, a regular street. The cul-de-sacs aren't. Um, and I guess I, just a concern is, so you're going to have your 17-year-old employee run out and say, yep, you can't park there. You're going to move this. Or it, it seems that having the, the three people there, are you counting yourself as one of those? Yeah, I'm, whenever we have a plant sale, my wife and I help. My, you know, we're out there. We're all helping. You know. But aren't you talking in addition to you guys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think we've ever had an issue with that. And the people pull way back into the cul-de-sac. There's no need to park that far away anyways. So it's just never been an issue. And I, I don't foresee it being an issue either. And, you know, with the cones on Stephanie Street, and I can, we're prepared to deal with it. If, if too many people come, we can just have no parking signs out or just have a limited amount of parking. And then we'll have them go park in front of the, <laughs> your ticket will be in the mail to you for parking in front of the hydrant. Yeah, the hydrant's about a block away, so I think it's pretty far away. I just see that as the, the, the driving force issue. Uh, the streets, the parking, um, and do I believe you are of good faith saying, hey, I, I want to please my neighbors. I don't want to have trouble. I want to make this work. Yes, I do believe that. Um, and my comment would be only time will tell, I guess, how this will, will work out. And I, I haven't been on the commission long enough to see, do, is one ever pulled? Do we ever go back and say, oh, it doesn't come to us. Jeff, does it, do we? It goes to the city commission if it's not resolved, and basically they have a mini trial to decide whether or not to get rid of it. And yes, they have done that before. Yes. <clears throat> okay. I'm involved in compliance reviews too for, for these sorts of permits, but with respect to the condition that's proposed by Mary, this is the broadest language that um, I think the city would be interested in is that. The applicant has to handle it and figure it out. If you don't, if we get a complaint, then we can we can call you on that. Um, if it if and it's specifically noted that if it spills out onto 13th Street, so I think it's it's nice broad language for enforcement perspective from the city, um, not necessarily in favor of, of Ryan's operation. Um, but he does have three parking spaces that are off street. He yeah. has his driveway, and then he's got expanded area around the cul-de-sac. So. Um, we don't foresee it being an issue. The length of sale, usually during the day, it's it's usually spread out enough to where not everyone is coming at one time either. There's, 
you know, if you have a sale for three or four hours, um, there's going to be some people that come at the beginning, some people that trickle around, you know, in the middle, and then a few people at the end. And it's it's just based on my experience with having sales, there's kind of a constant flow, but never a huge volume at one time. That's just personal experience. So I don't. Um, being prepared with having cones and some no, some little no parking, um, you know, those little things that fold out. Um, I do have some of those, and I could use them if, if that ever became an issue. I have a follow-up question sure. to my last question. Um, so, I just want to make sure that I understand this. You could actually currently have ten sales a year. Is that correct? I mean. What would be, we, you could do this, right? But the limitation is coming because you want to have employees help and we're changing it a little bit, right? But as far as traffic and parking and some of that stuff, that could actually happen now under the current um, situation without without the special use That's right. Is and, that correct? Yes, and, and Mary can clarify that. You're, we have unlimited abilities to have as many sales as, uh, as he wants. The limitation is on the hours of operation, which are broader. So in exchange for these employees, you're getting some limitations that get triggered with this SUP process. And, and these limitations are specifically designed to address neighborhood concerns. Your question? Yeah, if I may, I sure, just please. have a couple of questions. Uh, more about uh, uh, traffic, and it's mostly about traffic, I guess parking. Uh, first, um, Mr. Dominic, could you clarify the primary access, uh, when, access when you have sales? Um, is that on Lakeview Court on Ranchera? Is that it's, it's on Lakeview Court? Okay, thanks. And you said you've got a current um, access, uh, a way of access that goes all the way through to Ranchero Court. Is that right? It's like a back way in and out, so that you can kind of pull in there and not have to back out. Got it. Got it. So. When you have visitors today, do they typically enter through Lakeview and exit through Ranchero Court? They typically just park at Lakeview Court because we pull the plants out front for them to pick up out there. The back access is mainly for me and, you know, if I'm pulling, if I'm moving plants from the lower area to the upper area or for picking up a tree in the upper area, it's kind of, it just makes it a, a back way out. Got it. Got it. Um, and, and and did you say that should the traffic volume increase, you would be able to accommodate uh, parking on that, that access path, or is it too narrow to accommodate both parking and and uh, I think in the moving front, vehicles? I think handle probably six or eight additional cars. And the, the neighborhoods there, the, a lot of them have gravel driveways, which is predates any requirements to have paved um, driveways. So I have a large gravel driveway that's, that's kind of like an extension of the street. So a lot of times people pull in and just kind of like pull off the street and park parallel but that's actually on, on my property. And okay. there are places that we could have employees park that are off, you know, we have, we're showing that on the, on the required site plan, but there's also places just further up into the driveway that I could park the employees if I need to to make room for customer cars or our cars. We, we just showed that on the plan because that's what, you know, we need, to, we need to have somewhere to show it, but it's not, they don't always park in that spot. We could have them park up top too. 
Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Mr. Carpenter? And just <clears throat> continue our discussion about special use permits. So either Jeff or Mary. Um, when a special use permit is granted, is it transferable to another business? Does it run with the land? Um, are there things that can happen that cause it to expire? Special permits can have a time limit. They can be established to have an expiration. It's very similar to what you see with conditional use permit where you can put a, a, a limitation on how long it may be there. But they do run with the land. They don't run with the owners. So it is, it is a use that is granted to the property that runs for the period of the use allowance. So when we have an applicant that comes in and this is their idea uh, that they want to continue the business they have, but once they have a special use permit, if they sell the property, that would transfer to a new person who could use the same conditions and possibly change the amount of traffic and everything else. It would have to still be in conformance with the permit as approved. So you, you couldn't go in there and change or, you know, just, hap just happen to expand or have a different program. It would have to still meet the conditions that are in place with that design that is in place. Now, any change to that design or change in the intensity would require a new special use permit to be considered and brought forward to you for recommendation for the city commission for adoption. And just for clarification of language, that would not be amending the special use permit. That is a brand new special use permit that would replace the, the current one. Correct, because typically if you were amending it, you'd be just changing a condition on the existing permit or changing uh, a parameter of the permit itself. If you were going to expand the operation or even curtail it, that would be a different special use permit in, in the review process. Thank you. I'd just like to make a couple of comments. I'm very familiar with narrow streets with gutters, having lived on one for 28 years, um, with a similar business across the street from me. <laughs> that, uh, so I am familiar with what happens, but unlike these streets, uh, we do have a few more traffic lights and a lot more traffic with people walking in the streets pushing baby carriages and everything else with no sidewalks. And it's not an ideal situation, but it is workable. And it is one of those streets, if you have parking on both sides, you hardly have any room to get down the street one way. But we have some of those streets in town. Um, so for me, that's, this, that's not a deal killer at all. Um, especially since it's been operating this long and can actually have more intense use than what would be permitted under the special use permit. We're actually gonna reduce the possible amount of traffic and it might be more consolidated into a couple of days, but it's gonna be less, uh, should be less traffic. And if not, I'm sure the city's gonna hear about it and, and do something uh, to address it. Also, Gosh, I remember, I don't know if Mary remembers, but early discussions about urban agricultural overlays as a possibility in town. And that was in 20, I don't know, 2015, early 2015. And then suddenly the city commission proposed an urban ag 
uh, policy, which gained traction and came through this commission after a lot of public meetings. And there was a lot of contention about chickens. And I mean, he could have, you could have two goats, you could have two pigs, you could have all kinds of things right now under our urban ag policy, as long as they're in twos. Um, beehives, uh, limited by the amount of area you have to the number of beehives, that came to this commission and that had a lot of discussion. And I think we went through two meetings before we had it done. But it's been successful, and you see little pop-up tents and tables all over town where people are growing, selling produce or eggs, and it comes down, and they're kind of in the nature of garage sales, except there can be more often. You can only have two garage sales a year under our code. But uh, here you can have unlimited with our urban ag policy, and here we're saying 10. So... I see the benefits of it. I, I see this is something that's been encouraged by the policies of, of the city. And it moves towards meeting some of those goals of Plan 2040 with the environmental and sustainability parts of that. I think it adds to the vibrancy of neighborhoods to have this type of small business, if you want to even call it a business since it's so limited uh, in the neighborhoods. I mean, there are skills now in the neighborhood. It's like the one that's by us. The whole neighborhood benefits from having that bobcat across the street and the dump truck that can move gravel around and everything else. And I'm sure I'm hearing some of the same thing here. And that's kind of what we are looking for in neighborhoods to be more diverse and more vibrant and and I understand there are always concerns and especially with the roads being narrow and the lack of light but I'm going to bet anything um, if the city advanced the idea of curb and gutter expanding the width of those roads and putting in street lights you'd see everybody in the neighborhood <laughs> here saying absolutely not which is what happens every time it, the same thing comes up with my street. It's absolutely not. We like it this way, even though we're walking in the street. We know it's not the safest thing possible, but this is our neighborhood. Don't change it. Don't change it. And, and <laughs> we don't want to lose all those trees. We don't want to change that character. So I think this is just promoting the existing character of this neighborhood and actually providing a little bit of a cushion and enforceability in case things got out of hand. So I'm pretty much all in favor of this, if you couldn't tell already. But. Very good. I uh, just I'll pile on just a little bit. Um, I came in tonight uh, quite concerned about your ability to demonstrate that, that the traffic and, and parking was going was not going to be a problem. And, um, to, uh, to learn that um, that this really isn't about growing this into something different than it is, but really just about having to manage through our code so you can get some help out there to carry on the business you're carrying on, that, that relieve that concern. Knowing that we've got conditioned um, in this special use, um, that parking needs to be managed. So there's a vehicle that neighbors do have that might have a concern about that to, to you know have some control over their own lives. I'm leaving this uh, very positive about what's going on. I do think it's a great business inside of a great neighborhood. I'd like to see more of that. You don't get to see landscape businesses inside town very often and this is a pretty cool opportunity for that so um, I do intend to support
Question from Mary, uh, Commissioner Rexford. Uh, Mary, so what would it take, what kind of violation would it take to uh, pull the special use permit? Like what would a neighbor, what, what would it take, basically? Well, the uh, ordinance requires that the um, special use permit comply with city code. So it could be a variety of things. But one thing, you know, just looking at our standards is if parking became an issue and it was existing on 13th Street, it was interfering with traffic and a neighbor complained, they would contact development services. Typically, we have a compliance officer that would visit with them, let them know that's an issue, it's not acceptable help them work up a plan so it doesn't happen again. And um, depending upon how well that gets resolved, then they can send them a letter. And, and Jeff could probably tell you more of the process. I believe they send them a letter telling them they have to stop the use. And then they set a public hearing at the city commission phase. So many times these kind of things get resolved through the compliance officer because they're able to suggest alternatives. And the property owner is like, well, I didn't know that was going to happen. And they work harder at not having those issues so it doesn't always have to go to the city commission but if they're unresolvable then they totally can go and the city commission can amend the special use permit so they could just change the conditions have fewer sales or have other conditions applied or they can suspend it to allow them time to think of a solution or they can rescind it and just remove the special use permit so um, basically it's open for any um, violations thank you mm -hmm. Mr. Hayden, did I step on you earlier? No, huh? no, no, no. But I will go ahead and say I, I'm in favor of this. I mean, having driven it, I, I was also concerned a little bit about traffic, but I think um, Commissioner um, Carpenter kind of summarized basically exactly how I'm feeling about it. So for those reasons, I'm, I'm in favor of it. Any other comments? I, I will say you could have not been honest and open and forthright about doing this, and you chose to do it the right way by saying, here's what I want to do, and I'm going to go through the city to make it happen. So I, I applaud you for that. Any other comments? I'd accept the motion. <laughs> uh, I, I can, please. <laughs> Approved special use permit SUP-22-00286, permitting the establishment of an urban farm use at 1210 Lakeview Court and 1211 Ranchero Court and forwarding to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report and subject to the conditions listed in the report. Second. I'll second. Second. Commissioner Broder seconds. Uh, to call the roll, please, Chef. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Awesome. All right, so what I'd like to recommend is we take a, let's take a five minute break, is that okay? Five minute break, we'll come back with uh, Chair Ashworth to uh, take us through our last item. Fair enough? Five minutes. Thanks, everyone. And thanks to whoever got Mary a new mic. Home prices on okay. Room is ready. All right. Okay. Continuing on for this evening, we're at item number four um, to consider approving a request to, a request to rezone um, from single 
dwelling residential office to multi-dwelling residential office. And this will be um, a recommendation of approval or denial um, that moves up to the uh, city commission. Our staff member tonight is Mary Miller for this project. Good evening, as you mentioned, this is a resigning request and I will share my screen again. And this rezoning request is, as you mentioned, from the RSO or the single dwelling residential office district to the RMO, multi-dwelling residential office district. It's for approximately 0.8 acres at 4101 West 6th Street. And the property is located south of 6th Street, about midway between Monterey Way and Folks Road. And this rezoning is being requested so that multi-dwellings uses can be allowed on the property. Currently, the RSO district only allows non-ground floor apartments. So the second floors of these structures can have apartments, but the applicant would like to have an apartment on the ground floor and on the basement of um, the structure in the back or on the south side of the property. And that's why this rezoning is being requested. The subject property is developed with two structures. The one on the north was a residence and that converted to a veterinary office in 1996 and then converted to a mixed use building in 2002. And it currently contains a retail use, a salon or a personal convenience use and a residence. And the residence is a non-conforming residence. It was installed prior to the requirement that it be a non-ground floor dwelling. The building to the south it was uh, developed in 2005 as an office building. However, since the demand for office space has lessened in the last few years, um, they've had vacant suites. And so they are requesting this rezoning so that they can convert the office suites to residential, some of them on the ground floor and some of them in the basement. However, there is a requirement in the RMO district that at least 25% of the development be non-residential. The RMO district is intended to be a mixed use district, so it could not be possible to develop with completely with residential uses. And conversion to residential uses, if the rezoning is approved, would require the submittal and approval of a revised site plan and building permits would be required for the physical changes to the structures and to ensure life safety elements for the residences. <laughs> So some of the review criteria and golden factors we look at for zoning is whether it would be compatible with zoning and land uses in the area. Uh, the zoning map shows that we have RMO or multi-dwelling residential office adjacent to the west and then to the east and south we have RS7 or single dwelling residential. And if you look at the uh, graphic on the right you can see the subject property. We have commercial use to the left, it's actually an office use, but as far as our land uses, it gets grouped in with the commercial. Um, on the north side of 6th Street, we have commercial. And then we have single dwelling residential to the east and south and multi-dwelling to the west further. And then we have duplex uses to the southwest. The um, RMO district would allow um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say that. Um, like I was mentioning, we have quite a variety of uses and uh, the proposal to allow ground floor and basement residences to the subject property would be compatible with the zoning and land uses in the area uh, based on the property orientation. And uh, the subject property is shown with the star and uh, you can see that it is developed similar to the property to the west, but with the residential properties to the east and the south, 
they back up to this property. So the rear yards face each other. Um, the subject property takes access to the north from 6th Street, where the residential properties take access to the south. So while it is adjacent to these neighborhood properties, it's not integrated with them as part of the neighborhood. And um, so adding these uses and having the access on 6th Street should be compatible with the residential neighborhoods, residential development in the area. We look at the character of the area. So this is just a very general summary of the type of uses. Um, along 6th Street, we have a range of uses. To the north, it's primarily office and residential. Uh, we have churches to the west and to the east, and then some multi-dwelling. South, we have a mix of uses. Uh, we have um, the healthcare office. We have the um, office use of the subject property. And we have multi-dwellings to the west, detached dwellings, and then further to the east, we have more office uses. So along 6th Street, the uses are fairly intensive and a mix of uses. Further from 6th Street, we get into primarily residential, a detached dwelling and duplex dwelling districts. So the proposed change in use, uh, the rezoning and allowing the multi-dwelling use uh, would not affect the character of the area. Another criteria we look at is whether the recommendation or the rezoning request is compliant with recommendations in the comprehensive plan. So in our residential chapter, uh, the comprehensive plan recommends that we maximize development opportunities within Lawrence before we move outside and begin annexing property. Um, it recommends that we accommodate infill housing development in appropriate locations. And this would be an appropriate location as it has infrastructure and uh, access to a principal arterial road. Uh, and to increase the overall height and density of certain districts to accommodate sustainable growth. And um, the RMO district would allow a greater density, so that recommendation would be met. However, staff is recommending that we do not increase the overall height um, that's allowed, and that's because of the proximity of those residential properties to the east and the south. They're single dwelling residences, and I'll discuss that a little further, but um, Staff is recommending we maintain the current 35-foot height limit, which is the same as that for the residential properties to the east and south, just to maintain compatibility. And Chapter 4, under the Neighborhood and Housing Chapter, um, it recommends we create and encourage vibrant neighborhoods um, that make Lawrence unique. And one of the action steps is to maintain the form and pattern of existing neighborhoods. And this rezoning would not change the physical structure of the lot. The form and pattern would be maintained. And it wants to create a safe, functional, and aesthetically unique residential environment for new and redeveloping neighborhoods. And um, that goal, the action step, is to incorporate a mixture of housing types, styles, densities, and price ranges. So allowing the mixed use, allowing the multi-dwelling to occur on the ground floor and the basement, as well as the second floor of the um, existing building at 4101 West 6, um, would add a mixture of housing types to the area. So the uh, proposed Proposal is in compliance with recommendations in the comprehensive plan. Some of the other things we look at is, is the property suitable to the uses to which it's restricted under the current zoning? Um, and it is, it is well suited to uses under the RSO district, except for the slowdown in demand for office spaces. And um, it is also well suited for uses that would be allowed in the RMO district. And there's an attachment with the staff report that um, shows the different uses, but the uses that would be added with the RMO zoning would be attached dwellings, such as townhouses, multi-dwelling structure, which is the proposed use, congregate living, campus or community institution, religious assembly, which would be the larger churches that have accessory uses, short-term rental, and bed and breakfast uses. And the size of the property and the layout of the development 
would limit the intensity of these uses. Um, so that the scale and intensity of the uses would be limited just by the design of the property and, and then the parking requirements as well. So the property is well suited to uses both in the RSO district and in the proposed RMO district. And then it asks us to look at the length of time the property has been vacant with the current zoning. And the property itself is not vacant. It was, um, it had a residence and that converted to a veterinary office in 1995. Um, the mixed use building or the office building on the south was um, constructed in 2005. However, with recent years, um, the office building has been predominantly vacant. There's been quite a few suites uh, that are vacant and the intention is to rezone it so that these could, could be converted to residential uses. And then we look at what detrimental impacts there could be. I mentioned the uses The uses that are permitted in the RMO district are pretty similar to those in the RSO. And with this site being developed, uh, the scale of any uses um, would be relatively uh, limited. Uh, but the detrimental impacts could occur because the RMO district has slight variations in their density and um, in dimensional standards. Uh, rezoning to RMO would increase the maximum density possible or permitted on the property from 15 dwelling units an acre to 22 dwelling units an acre. And as a property contains 0.83 acres, the actual density possible today is 12 dwelling units. And with the proposed RMO district, um, the maximum possible or permitted to be 18 dwelling units. But the actual density would be determined by the amount of parking necessary. Uh, with um, multi-dwelling or with apartments, parking is required required at the rate of one space per bedroom, as well as one for every 10 units for visitor parking. And so the, um, the additional density is not expected to have any negative impacts as it would be limited by the amount of parking available and by the 25% requirement to have 25% of the development be non-residential. And the RMO district um, sets a maximum building height at 45 feet while the RSO sets it at 35 feet. The RSO district was designed specifically to be compatible with nearby single dwelling residences. And the RMO district was designed to be compatible with RMO and therefore their maximum heights fit the maximum heights in those districts. So staff is recommending a condition on the rezoning that the maximum height possible would remain at 35 feet. And that would be uh, to ensure compatibility with those residential properties that are adjacent to the east and to the south. And then we look at what would be the gain to the public from the denial versus the hardship to the applicant. And um, as there are no negative um, impacts identified, there would be no gain to the public from the denial. Um, the hardship to the applicant would be they may not be able to uh, fill those vacant suites. Um, one benefit to approval of the rezoning might be that we have additional residential uses in this area uh, with the conversion of the offices to the residential um, I'll talk about staff's recommendation in just a moment. There is no retail market necessary for this rezoning. And as I'm recommending a condition, it requires that we um, evaluate the reasonableness. It is facilitating a clear goal, and that would be compatibility with the nearby properties. Um, and it would be addressing a negative externality. If you have a very tall building next to just a single family home, it can um, visually impact them. It just isn't compatible. And so trying to keep more similar heights um, allows a better transition from one use to the other. The lesser change table cannot be used as we're not looking at a use condition. It's a height. 
and it would not allow any increase in intensity. So the uh, condition being proposed is reasonable. So staff is recommending approval of the rezoning request and submitting it to or forwarding it to the city commission as a recommendation for approval subject to the condition that the maximum height remain at 35 feet. And so that concludes my presentation. And I believe the applicant is uh, present today. I'm not sure, but I believe they are. Thank you, Mary. Um, do we have the applicant with us this evening? So my name is Doug Garber and I am the property owner of uh, 4101 and 4105 West 6th Street, two buildings on the same land. I have requested Mary Miller to rezone that property from a residential office to RMO. Um, the primary reason for, for it is the lack of demand for the office space. The basement of 4105 is vacant and <clears throat> unfinished and never has been used for uh, for uh, office. So I'm wanting to put one dwelling in, down there, approximately 25% of the space that it has. And then on the first level of 4105, I would like to put a studio apartment, one one room studio apartment, possibly as a Airbnb. I don't think that there's gonna be a problem with traffic. I, if I'm thinking right, uh, office has a higher, higher demand for uh, parking than residential. So, and it, it, it has an additional entrance on the east end that the first level apartment would be able to use and kind of be segregated from the main entrance. Thank you, Mr. Garber. Thank you. So uh, now is the point where I ask for public comment on this particular project. Do we have any public comment? Um, anything on, there's no one here in the room to give public comment. Is there anybody online to give public comment? Seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. Commissioner Bunch. Yeah, uh, I'm curious, Mr. Garber, you mentioned that you expected to have one dwelling in the basement, and I know that this isn't the question before us, but I'm, I'm just curious, is that also going to be a studio or one bedroom? What's your expectation for that unit? That would be two, two bedrooms with the remaining space as storage. Okay. Thank you. Other questions for Mr. Harper? Any questions for staff? No? Okay, well, do I have a suggestion for, do I have a motion please then? 
do that. I'm happy to, unless someone else would like to. Do you want to, David? You're welcome to. <clears throat> I move we approve the request to rezone Z-22-00283, approximately 0.83 acres at 4101 West 6th Street from RSO to RMO District with restrictions and forwarding to the request forwarding the request to City Commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in staff report and subject to the following condition or subject to the conditions in the staff report. Thank you. Do I have a second? Commissioner Carter, thank you. Any further discussion? If I, I, if I may just say, I, I think this is 100% compatible with the environment, with um, increasing uh, residential capacity, accommodating, making um, constructive use of property in light of the same reason I'm wearing a mask right now, that uh, um, so many more people are working remotely, not congregating in large densities. And also, in terms of the environment being an on, on an arterial, I just can't see any reason that it's not a good idea. So, agreed. Thank you. Can just, we have a call for the vote? Then? Just add, oh, when I was young, at the end of the late '60s, <laughs> hmm. my grandmother lived in a building that had an apartment and dentist office and doctor's offices down below. And I think it's a great way to reuse space that's going, mm -hmm. is just sitting vacant otherwise. And I hope this signals a trend to a, some reuse of yeah. residential and commercial properties that are otherwise vacant around the city. So thank you for bringing this forward. Hopefully you'll be a trendsetter, Mr. Carver. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, can we have a call for a vote then, please? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes nine to zero. All right, well that concludes the regular agenda. Thank you for waiting through everything. <laughs> Um, we are now, is there any consideration of, is there a consideration of any other business to come before the commission this evening? No additional business from our side. Okay. Can I have a motion to recess then? So moved. A second? Second. Uh, discussion? No. Okay. You can call the... Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Hayden? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexrow? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion right. passes nine to zero. Thanks to the public who came out tonight. Thank you to staff. Thank you to fellow commissioners. Thank you. See you Wednesday. See you Wednesday.